So today's Jibberfish podcast episode will begin slightly differently because there is a subject we have been rather quiet on and that is because we have not felt really comfortable pitching into the conversation about the killing of George Floyd um, and the resulting Black Lives Matter inspired uh, protests and movements around the United States and even here in the UK and basically across the world um, because when it comes down to it, we are just two white boys and I don't think our opinion uh, should really carry much weight in anything but when it comes to the lived experience of uh, black communities in America I really don't think we have anything close to a re- recognisable or reasonable voice on the subject and uh, mm-hmm. we thought we would start with a brief kind of discussion of that issue before we roll the music, uh, begin the silliness and the nonsense and the uh, non-stop dick jokes to just pay respect really to an average Joe, um, just a normal guy who was uh, killed by a police officer. I don't think there's any other way to say it. Uh, I've watched the video um, and I cannot see that as anything else on a killing of a man by a police officer and the fact that he is black has started a large conversation around racial relations between the African-American community and the police-American community, as uh, it was once put by John Stewart. So, uh, yeah, we wanted to start this off uh, with condolences to the family and friends of George Floyd. Uh, he was buried yesterday, actually, uh, on the 9th of June, uh, 2020. And frankly, I don't think he should have been in that grave in the first place. So, uh, Dom? Yeah, I think yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, someone was killed that shouldn't have been killed, someone that should still be alive with their, their friends and family. And uh, I'm not aware if George Floyd has, has any children. I think he does because, in fact, yes, he does because there's been so much support thrown at the family. The little girl's been promised a college tuition and there's been some good that has come out of a situation that should have never happened in the first place. Uh, and as Colin said, the reason why we didn't put anything out beforehand is because there's been so many people who quite rightly have owned up to their past misgivings and their past uh, mistakes saying that this is how I essentially perpetuated the problem and we just didn't want it to seem like we were yet another uh, you know, white apologist saying or another, white, another couple of white guys putting their apology out there to clear their head. Uh, personally I, I think Colin would agree here we took the time to educate ourselves we took a, a step back to you know, really read up on why these were why these uh, riots were happening why uh, are people who were should be regarded as equal weren't being regarded as equal the whole the the real arguments at the core of the situation instead of just reacting immediately without any basis for any argument took the time to educate ourselves read up on the the problems at the core of this thing so that we can be better allies, essentially. Yeah, because I, I, I kind of agree that this uh, this incident is not the disease, it's a symptom of a bigger issue within America and within the world at large, really. And it, it would be wrong of us to just walk in, guns blazing, firing from the hip on a really sensitive subject. You've seen how heated it's been online. I guarantee if you've been online at any point in the last couple of weeks, you'll have seen something that probably pissed you off regardless of where your political leanings are this has gotten into a major international incident almost and we wanted to make sure that we get it right and we're not gonna but we're gonna try 
We're gonna we're gonna definitely we're gonna voice our support in the in the right way. And some people will see us as doing it wrong, but I can we all we can do is try our best. Yeah, and uh, I th- I think we can just go through some stuff. I mean, we've I say we've all seen the video of uh, Officer F- uh, Chauvin with his uh, knee on the neck of George Floyd. It is uh, heart wrenching to watch someone die like that. Uh, I've seen some weird fucked up shit on the internet, and that probably takes the the cake as far as the worst video I may have seen in a long, long time. I uh, the the thing that probably upset me the most is. Hearing that he was calling for his mother, you can hear it in the video, that he calls out for his mother to help him. And uh, as a guy, as a man, that means that means something because it tells you that he is so frightened, so afraid, he is calling out for help from his mother, the maternal figure. And that really shook me to my core. And then I discovered that his mother had been dead for two years. And at that point, I was outraged. Because that is a man calling for help from someone who will never hear him again. And that just deeply upset me when it came to watching the footage. And uh, the, the more you see it, the more it sinks in. And it probably is the thing that offended me the most. Uh, is that that was, that was how someone was treating someone else in a way. That is how someone is treating their, their brother man. Uh, just someone who's basically no different from you. Because, uh, you know... There, but for the grace of God, go I. You should treat everyone as you want to be treated. The idea that you would put someone in a position where they they call out for help uh, to a long dead relative is sickening to me. And uh, more and more information surfaces about the case, and it just gets worse, really, in a way. Mm -hmm. And I think what you said there about it being difficult to watch, I think that is what it needs to be and that that may sound horrible but i all i'm saying on that is these uncomfortable videos are making people wake up to see how this how it's been happening how this racial inequality has been proceeding for years and if more people watch that video more people realize that this is a problem and they'll start to do something about it and you need to look this ugly ugly truth in the face and say this is what the black community in america has been screaming about for years because this is not an isolated incident. Um, no. This is a recurring pattern of behaviour that is totally unique and rare whenever the police talk about it. And yet here we have yet more footage of a man saying he can't breathe as a police officer chokes him out. And it is it's heartbreaking, really, because it's not a unique thing. Uh, I'm a big fan of Run the Jewels, and they released an album uh, this week actually they pushed the release a bit earlier because they had political statements made in the album they wanted to make now what's really messed up is that the album uh, features a track called Walking in the Snow which features uh, Killer Mike who mentions uh, that uh, he mentions in reference to Eric Garner another black man who was choked out by the police he mentions the line I can't breathe he recorded this months before this incident happened in reference to another killing of an African-American man by the police. And yet, it just so happens there's another case a couple of years later where the exact same thing happens. This is a recurring pattern that people have been ignorant to and are waking up to this idea. And uh, I, I'm sorry to see that George Floyd died. 
he didn't deserve that over no. a, a fake or counterfeit $20 bill that he used to pay for groceries or, or gas or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the fact that his death is now sparking a revolutionary mindset in a lot of people is... I don't want to say it's a silver lining in a dark cloud because it is so much darker than that. But if there is anything to take away from this, it is that people do not agree with the police treatment of civilians, regardless of the colour of skin, but especially in cases where uh, minorities are being affected in a disproportionate way by police actions. Um, yeah, uh, and it's it's something that unfortunately i think is going to escalate more before it gets better not due to the fault of the protesters i think the protesters are doing this in the right way yeah and i think that's something we maybe need to... sorry you go uh, the protesters are doing this in the right way they're keeping it peaceful they are they're uh, choosing not to attack people they're choosing not to Know, react to any of the horrible shit that's going on around them but I think that the message that is being sent by the protesters is going to piss off a lot of people who are used to the way used to the status quo in America and that is going to escalate the position even more and unfortunately I think this is miles away from being over and it's not something it's something you see over t- on Twitter all over the place and uh, various different uh, trending sections on Twitter that this isn't a trend, this isn't something that's going to last a week and disappear, this is something that's going to need continual work to fix, and I think that's what it should be, it should be something that's not you know, a week we uh, we signed some petitions, we raised some money, we marched there we go, job's done, this is something we're going to need to work away at for years and years to come, little by little we'll get there and some years we might advance, it. we could advance it leaps and bounds, but it's going to be a a slow process that's going to jar a lot of people, but it is a process that needs to happen. Yeah, and I think that's it's an important distinction to make between those rioting and those protesting. There are thousands, if not millions of people protesting peacefully in cities across the world, uh, saying that they disagree with the treatment of African Americans or black people or people of colour or minorities in different sections or different areas of the world. And then there are um, anarchists, there are extremists, there are opportunists is actually the next word I actually have written on my notes here uh, is that yep. there are opportunists using this as a chance to kickstart whatever they want, if they want to loot and rob, they just want to you know walk away with a couple of new pairs of shoes and a flat screen TV, they're going to do that If because there's a, a horde of people outside protesting, there's cover in a sense that you don't normally have if you're just, you know, if it's a normal day or if you're under quarantine lockdown, there are opportunities that are arising through these protests and I uh, I can't explain how much the, the, the looting and rioting annoys the shit out of me because it is taking away from a very important movement that needs to happen. And you just say it'll be a painful process, but a necessary one. And the... I think the the people who are the opportunists and the the chancers, as they as we call them here in Scotland, those are the people that are going to escalate it more. The the protesters, I mean, in Glasgow, there was a a protest at the Glasgow Green, which was a very peaceful protest. They had people speaking, and it was a very very uh, communal thing. There was no there was no police present. 
there was stewards there present, marshals present, to make sure that things didn't kick off. From what I've seen, there was very little police presence there. It's when people try and piggyback on things for their own ends, that's when it starts to get starts to get violent. And it's going to be those people that escalate this and make it worse for the people who are genuine or people who have a genuine cause. Yeah, I think that's a very important thing to remember if you're going out to protest uh, that you are protesting uh, in the name of restricting police violence. I would never assume it'd be a great idea to give a police force an opportunity to you know conduct more police violence by kicking off at your protest. A protest in this sense is a rallying of community support behind a peaceful ideal. And I think that's the tone that a lot of these uh, Black Lives Matter moves are making great efforts to show that this is this is the aim of the protest. It is not to uh, it is not to cause violence to the police officers. It is to say we as a community stand together in disagreement with current policies, with current procedures used by police forces across the world uh, to handle civilians in certain cases. And that is, it is so impressive. I, as an outsider, as someone who won't make it to a protest, but will maybe you know, show support as much as he can in other ways, I I don't believe we're actually making this work the way it is, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like it should have gone a lot worse by now. Um, there are current developments in which uh, we seem to have a... A, an issue with slave owned uh, slave owner statues right now that's the current talking point or the talking point of the day where uh, we don't know if it's protesters demonstrators or if it's uh, opportunists are using this as a chance to remove by force uh, statues of controversial historical figures uh, because they were part of the slave trade slave owners or profiteers from uh, slavery uh, which I, I gotta say I really find it hard to disagree with that uh, it's uh, yeah. it, it's going to get a little nuanced and a little complicated, but it's it's another issue that will come up in time. But uh, yeah, as far as the actual Black Lives Matter protests are uh, progressing, they are doing a fantastic job of uh, keeping peaceful demonstrations of community solidarity as the center of their protest movement, and it is uh, it's so inspiring in a way. Uh, it's uh, that's why I say this is the silver lining to a horrifically dark cloud. No, not really. I, the one thing I was going to say is the say that the the riots and the, and the looting or like the destruction of property, not the riot, the riots and the looting. That's just opportunists taking advantage. But the uh, the destruction of property, particularly the statues and uh, you know destruction of certain shop fronts and certain. Uh, distinct locations, people have come out and said that that's not peaceful protesting, but you've got to imagine the mindset of the protester, particularly say, young Afri- young African-American female, young African-American male, or uh, be they young African-American, tra- young African-American person, you know, male, female, transgender. They've lived, they, they've experienced this and they've experienced a system that values a building, values a statue over their individual would you say to them that you destroying this property that is valued higher than you that's not the right way to protest it's something that fair enough a lot of people might be uncomfortable with but could you really say that's the wrong way to do it yeah it's a very good point because this all stems from the fact that at one point a police officer made the decision to say that an african-american man's life was worth 
20 fake dollars. So yeah, yep. I whole while I I don't see the looting and the rioting as a good solution. Understandable to anyone who gets a bit angry during these coming or past days. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's only one one last thing to say, and that is that Black Lives Matter. Yeah, if you are in the fortunate enough position to be able to donate, please, please donate. It is a very worthy cause, or if you're like myself and maybe a bit strapped for cash, you can go on YouTube and there's loads of Black Lives Matter videos there that all the ad revenue goes to Black Lives Matter charities. There are also uh, petitions that you could sign, and I urge everyone to sign these petitions because the more voices that are added to this, the more attention that this rightly gets, and the more change this can actually affect. So, um, there is no real way to easily transfer ourselves from this discussion to our main show. But if you stick around after the music, we'll return to our regular scheduled uh, podcast. And uh, we hope you're all staying safe and well out there, okay? Well, Dom may not be able to return to his academic studies, uh, but we're here to talk Jibberfish, aren't we, Dom? Yep, back again. Unable, I'm, I'm finished uni for the year, so uh, I'm pretty good. Just need to go back, hopefully in September. Well, that's perfect, because it means you've got plenty of time to go to the zoo. Why would I want to go to the zoo? Because you can, Dom, because that is the, uh, that's the new COVID release that came out about an hour ago before we started recording. Uh, Boris Johnson has allowed you, in his gracious infinite wisdom... To go to the zoo, but not the reptile house, because that would be dangerous. As part of the easing COVID lockdown, he has said that it is a good idea for Britons to go back outside to uh, reconnect with nature and to be able to enjoy activities that might be a bit more stimulating than staring at your fucking wall for the 10th hour in the day. And uh, he is encouraging people to go to safaris, uh, zoos, uh, but not reptile houses and indoor facilities and the uh, drive-in theatres that Britain is famous for. Yeah, there's loads of drive-in uh, cinemas in and around the, the United Kingdom. Plenty of them. We'll find tons of them. I um, honestly have never seen one in the UK. I I, I don't think they exist. I, there must be one. There must be one somewhere that he had to yeah. point to and say, I meant this one. Obviously, we can all go there. Um, yeah, you people in Scotland, you can come down here. I, I couldn't see a clip of this, but apparently he has uh, in the last couple of months there's been some stuff going on with the COVID lockdown and a certain uh, government representative, I don't know if we talked about it in the podcast, but he uh, his name is Dominic Cummings and he has, he basically I'm broke... Fucker, right? I want to have a go at him. Right? <laughs> I don't know, let's explain to the, the foreigners and the, the, the people who don't actually spend all day laughing at uh, Tories on Twitter what's going on here. Um, Dominic yeah. Cummings is a senior aide to the pr- uh, Prime Minister, or the yeah, Prime Minister. Uh, I was going to say First Minister. I'm like, no, Prime Minister. This is this is England's fault. And uh, he has been part of the kind of task force of people who have been advising the Prime Minister on the best things to do given the, uh, the COVID situation. And he basically realised he couldn't care for his child because he and his wife had gotten sick at the same time. He then decides to drive 200 miles up England to get to the north of England, out of London, uh, to stay on a farmhouse on his parents' property 
so that he could have access to other members of the family who might be able to take care of the kid if they were to get more sick. So uh, that was caught, uh, especially that and him taking a driving test in a weird way. Um, he decided to, after not being able to see very well, he decided to test his eyesight by driving uh, 30 minutes to a nearby castle uh, with his child in the back seat when he was not sure if he could drive. So he took his wife and his kid, stuffed them in the car and drove to a castle, sat there for 15 minutes and then drove back to the farmyard before returning on, I think this is on like the Saturday, and then on Monday night he returns to London again, another 250 miles drive. And uh, the British public found out, because that's the thing about these guys, is they just don't think they're going to get caught. And then they do, and then they have to give the most pathetic apology I've ever seen on national television. Uh, Dom, would you like to say something about that? Yes, I would like to say something about Dominic Cummings ruining the name Dom for everybody out there. <laughs> uh, motherfucker, I don't know how he got away with that. I, I, I genuinely don't fucking know how someone does something in breach of the regulations that he helped put in place and still gets away with it with nothing more than a slap on the wrist. It is uh, highly... I don't want to say offensive because I feel like that might be the wrong word but at the same time it is a perfect example of someone using basically making a set of rules for themselves and then using their yeah. position of power to then just to completely ignore those fucking rules that they've set up themselves and uh, I, I, I want to say when it comes down to why I think he got away with it it's because the press let him I really do think that uh he was given an interview, or he's uh, giving a, a press statement after giving a quick kind of uh, email to uh, correspondents wanting some kind of uh, some answer to put in the papers. He gave a an hour long speech or an hour long uh, discussion, basically panel that he held in a garden somewhere. I assume it's behind Ten Downing Street, um, where he laid out his statement, where he explained why he did what he did, which I'm going to be honest, I I don't disagree with. In any like, if he hadn't been uh, a senior member of the like the government, and he had just been a guy who said, "I can't take care of my kid. I think my wife is seriously sick. I need to get us to family so that we can maybe work out some kind of care for my infant child." I would kind of accept that. I'd be perfectly fine with that happening. Um, if he wasn't a fucking hypocrite and someone who would yeah, immediately throw someone in jail for doing the same thing. Yeah, if he wasn't the person that made the regulations in the first place, I think we would have been okay with that. But the fact is, he he wrote them and he said that said things like there will be serious serious penalties put in place for anyone who disregards these regulations. And my issue only to then sorry, disregard them. Uh, my issue with it was that uh, during that interview, he was asked by multiple members of the press from different organisations, different uh, news teams. Uh, who all, by the way, were pre-approved to ask these questions, which is a little shady, um, that he was asked, don't you realise uh, that you've basically introduced the idea of making your own decisions uh, into the COVID-19 lockdown protocols, uh, that you can, if you feel justified in doing it, if you feel like you can explain yourself away to the public, to a judge, to a policeman that stops you, do you realise that you've opened that floodgate on something that was supposed to be very ironclad and set in stone and followed to the tightest letter of the law. And he responded with, 
I did what I thought was best for my family. I made exceptions because I had a young child. And I really don't like that he was able to weasel his way out of that. And I don't like that no one in that team of, I think it was like 20 journalists were there, didn't actually say, no, listen, you fucking moron. You have introduced the the public to the idea that if you just feel a certain way, you can make decisions about government policy and if or if they do not apply to you and I feel like nobody really held his feet to that fire because he fucked up and I don't think he owned the right portion of his fuck up if that makes sense uh, I think I, yeah I don't think he never I don't think he yeah I don't think he owned his fuck up I don't think that's down to him completely I think Boris Johnson should have came down heavy on him he tried to swing it for the whole oh he's just looking after his family if that was any other member of parliament they'd have been gone Yeah. what I is am, so special about Dominic Cummings I am very surprised he's not being fired but I do um, I, I haven't seen the video of this myself because I'm always very wary to uh, take someone's interpretation of what's being said by a politician right now and just approve it but apparently uh, Boris Johnson has said that anyone breaking uh COVID-19 lockdown protocols would be uh, basically breaking the law to which everyone should be turning around saying but what about Dominic fucking Cummings and really I I know it's been done to death I know we've heard everything that these uh, these people have to say on the issue but I feel like we might want to run it through again just to make the message clear that if there's, yeah, if there's one set of rules for us and one for you guys what is the fucking point yeah absolutely there needs to be unity in this thing and covid itself is still going to be hanging over us for years to come because of dumb shit yeah there will be implications for this and uh (laughs) i wonder what i mean we've talked about the the protesting before the show about uh Lives matter and the the protesting i'm I'm very concerned about what the how the press will take the footage that they have of thousands and thousands of people rallying together to support this cause and then relate it to the uptick of uh, COVID cases that will come in the next couple of weeks because yes, gathering a large number of people for a protest will inevitably increase the risk of exposure for those people. But remember, before they start rolling that footage, that we opened up the country a little bit just before, like the week or two before George Floyd's death. And I feel like you're going to see a lot of kind of conflation between the Black Lives Matter protests and increasing COVID uh, risk. And I... I've already tried to stand with that point. They've already tried to say that because of this, there's going to be an uptick in, or there has been an uptick in COVID-19 cases. But according to the numbers, there's not really been that many. There's been a lowering amount of cases in... Uh, in the UK, I don't know about America. Scotland had a but, few uh, nights of no COVID-related deaths uh, over yep. the weekend, but uh, even Nicola Sturgeon was very quick to point out that there are less deaths recorded over the weekend just because of bureaucracy. We'll wait and see. We'll take these numbers with a pinch of salt. And remember, uh, COVID has a seven to fourteen day incubation time within the human body before you start showing any symptoms. And before you would then either die or be hospitalised or go into serious treatment. Obviously, there'll be outlier cases where somebody catches it within three days. They're on a ventilator. But in a majority of cases, you need to wait a week. Uh, 
uh, before you start seeing increased. And I'm, I'm hoping that everyone is taking precautions and keeping on top of um, their kind of personal quarantine when it comes to COVID. I want to make sure people are as safe as possible. And I hope you all out there are taking the necessary precautions, regardless of what you're doing, uh, whether you're out protesting, whether you're sheltering in place, whether you're um, just still working, um, whether you're, you know, you're an essential worker. I hope you're safe uh, right now because yeah. COVID is, I, I'm predicting a second wave uh, before the end of yeah. the month that is going to be fucking terrifying. The way I see it, there is going to be a second wave. I think we can't avoid that at this point. Uh, the protests needed to happen. And those people, those people who have been attending the protests, I have seen with face masks and gloves and regularly using hand sanitizer. I've seen pictures of that happening. What's going to cause the second wave is the fucking morons flocking to beaches in the hundreds and the idiots who are going into McDonald's drive throughs and causing traffic jams on local Scottish streets and streets down in England. Yeah. Do you really need a fucking Big Mac that badly? Bro, I need my it's nuggies, bro. Good. <laughs> I need my nuggies, bro. <laughs> you can make better chicken nuggets at home. Uh, true. Fuck. <laughs> I, yeah, and a Big Mac is disgusting. Can we just uh, agree that now? Big Mac sauce is disgusting. What's wrong with you? Of all the, like... Fast food burgers, I prefer uh, Burger King's uh, Chicken Caesar. Just chicken that Royale. Ch- chicken Royale, yeah. Sorry. Uh, don't yep. know why I think Caesar. That's the correct answer. Yeah, Chicken Royale. Chicken Royale is delicious. Is the, is the essential after gig uh, meal in a train station if you need one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I really hope that someone rakes every member of the Tory government over the fucking coals because of this... Uh, these seemingly double standards regarding uh, whether or not you're breaking the law when you uh, break COVID quarantines. But yeah, yeah, I I hope that everyone's staying safe with all that's going on right now. I think the protesters are taking the right stance that they're guarding against COVID as best they can because they're dealing with a much bigger issue. Yeah. And remember, kids, if you were to socially distance during a protest... You would technically be covering more ground and locking down more of the city you're trying to protest in. Just yep. gonna say that. If you're all two meters apart, I mean, I guess a thousand people can cover how much space if you're only sticking to streets. Sorry, I, I didn't catch that part. I was being beset by a moth. A moth? I was expecting mutt there, but okay. I'm just saying that uh, if you were to socially distance a protest and everyone's two meters apart, consider how much more space you can take up and how much more of a yeah, city you, you can Yeah, you'd be able to down. cover more ground. You'd be able to get the message out there more. Yeah, just the sheer volume of people in the streets. If you're all two meters apart, I mean, there was a protest going through Philadelphia, and I'm pretty sure they were quite evenly well spaced out going through the street. And I'm I'm also pretty sure there was also about a million people out there. Uh, yeah. However, that million people distanced out becomes half of the fucking city. Oh yeah. So yeah, uh, definitely would advise social distancing. Uh, not just for, you know, your own health and safety, but also for political gain. Consider the political gain, kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Social distancing, it can also be a good social tool to help you in a protest, which is a weird sentence. <laughs> Very weird sentence. Yeah. I-, I mentioned it earlier in the segment. I wanted to talk about, uh, I-, I know you're not a rap fan, but uh, Run The Jewels did release their new album, uh, R- RTJ4. And I would highly recommend it. I, I don't know how you're going to react to it because so you're not a rap fan. I don't know how you feel yeah. about kind of the general feel of modern music right now. But uh, Run the Jewels, as I've I recommended them on the show before, 
highly, uh, highly, I would say philosophical cerebral experience. And uh, this album is very short, it's only like a half an hour. So if you're going to not enjoy it, it won't take you long to just give up on it. Or even to just listen all the way through. But there is some powerful fucking music in there. And uh, yeah. Oh, uh, actually, uh, I don't mind Run the Jewels. Their, their title track, Run the Jewels, that they used for, uh, was that Comedy Central show? Uh, I can't help you on this one. I'm sorry, bro, you're going solo. <laughs> you're going to have to figure it out. No, it was the... It was the, it was the like Comedy Central presents one night or something like that. All oh, right. It was they had a uh, big Jay Okerson talk about the time he had the massive. There was a massive fight. Joe Rogan talk about the time he was stuck in a hotel with the fire alarm. Oh, is Joey that... Diaz talks about. Hmm? Is that um? Because that sounds like stuff from uh. This is not happening. That's it. This is not happening. Yeah. Uh, Run the jewels song. Run the jewels was there uh, the opening track to that. And that's where I first heard it. I thought, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I'll, I'll listen to this. And yeah, actually quite a big fan of Run the Jewels. I know that one. Yeah. And the, uh, the for me, it was uh, Oh Mama, which was uh, a thing they did with Rick and Morty. So they had the, like, Rick and Morty animators work on a, an episode or like a mini music video for them. Fan fucking dastic. It's great as, it's, it's a good track. But also the uh, the animation, that, like, the actual use of Rick and Morty as characters and something else. I fucking loved it. I know you're not a fan of Rick and Morty either, but. Yeah, I uh, give it a go. RTJ4 came out like they pushed the release a bit early. I think they came out, what, two weeks before the launch date and just said, look, we're just going to put it out now because it's relevant, it's topical, and uh, it's we, we feel it's important. So they, they put it out there a little early. So digital release was escalated by two weeks and it was it's a fucking good album. Um, there's a lot of weird It'll be stuff. be up on uh, Spotify already, so I'll give it a shot there. Yeah, my brother, like, we, we knew it was coming early, but the second it was available on Spotify, he immediately texted me and goes, it's there, it's there, it's there, get it, get it, get it. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm half asleep, I'm going to bed. <laughs> I will deal with this in the morning. You can sit down and leave me alone. It's one thing that I've actually had to not deal with anymore since I, I started turning my phone off at night. And you have no idea how great a sleep I've been having. Like, I've been getting nine hours every day. Fantastic. That's great. Just turn man. off my phone. I uh, we've been talking about this a lot on the podcast, and uh, it's something I actually talked about uh, with Facebook. Was I was so glad to be out of there, and then I think it was last week, or some point last week, I text you saying I've gotten rid of all of the uh, air quotes cosplayers that I have on Instagram, which is code for uh, half naked women. And I said I wonder how long I'll stay on the app now that I'm not just using it to look at uh, half naked titties. And uh, it lasted, I think I, I texted you on like Wednesday, and it was gone by Friday night. I think it was. Yeah, just I think like, I called it that you wouldn't last. You delete it by the end of the week. You, I think you said by the end of the day. <laughs> you were like, you'll go. Sure. There's no titties here. Ah, uh, fuck it. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I, I actually found the uh, rip, uh, rip my Instagram text sent you, and that was yeah, that was Thursday. That was uh, Saturday night. I just was in a bad mm. mood, and I was thinking about. Uh, just all my social media and what I do and what I put out there and what I look at and I was like I just don't want it anymore so uh, with that I delete my Instagram uh, very kind of spur of the moment decision but as, as you said like as soon as you disengage from that type of media you feel better and that's me taking another step away from it uh, Twitter's still there uh, definitely still there and I, I don't know if you can read it as a social media but I have still have that uh, 
no. Uh, Reddit has always been this weird uh, social media that I've never used. I dabbled with it a couple times. I uh, I tried. I used it when I was. I'm I'm in the process of writing a D and D campaign, and mm-hmm. I used it a couple times to go and. Uh, they have a really really cool subreddit. Uh, DM things or DM something. I used there because uh, they have these really really cool stat blocks for uh, monsters. Like they have the Tornberry from Final Fantasy VII. They have the the Locust from Gears of War. They have them as D and D translated characters. Well, that's so I just go in there, go in there and say, "Oh, the Yellow Devil from Mega Man. I'm going to put that in my campaign," <laughs> and just yeah, take it from there. That's about the limit of my interaction with uh, Reddit because I think it was you know it was definitely you that told me of the the Reddit story with. Like the Reddit incest story, and I was like, "Nope, if that's what's on that website, I don't want to touch it." <laughs> I can't even remember what it was, but I have, I have the vague. Oh, I think I do know what it was. Um, uh, yeah, I remember it was uh, a story of a uh, a couple that just kind of fell into an incestuous romantic relationship, and who were just kind of like, "Yeah, we uh, we have a kid together, and uh, we could be happier." Uh, I'm her uncle, if anyone asks, and yeah, we we just were happy, and you're like. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I don't want to read all this news. anymore. Uh, what? Yeah, I, I just, I can't. Uh, for some reason, I, I love that site because I use it as uh, news aggregation. Um, there's mm. so much going on. There's so much I like to keep track of. There's so much stuff that I want to. I like to open up an app and be surprised in a good way. Mm. Um, it really happens these days, but I like the idea that I could open up. I could just push two buttons. Uh, on my phone and learn something and I like that idea uh, but I I, I, f- I struggle to find good sources for that and uh, Reddit has its issues uh, it's going to start having more issues I think now with an election coming up in the United States and all that's going on but I think that it w- as long as it's well moderated and you find communities that you find interesting and engage with that's the type of thing I, I want to get more of but when it came to Instagram I was like I really am just here for the tits and uh, there's very little reason for me to have that on my phone. I just don't want to be there anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get I get that. If you're not using something, because a lot of these apps, when you don't use them for the social media aspect, if you're not posting regularly on them, like uh, with myself and Facebook, I rarely use Facebook. If it wasn't for the fact that I use the Messenger app and I do still comment on a couple of pa- private pages that I'm on, Mm-hmm. For example, if the MCM Comic Con page disappeared, I'd probably delete my Facebook. Or if I got kicked <laughs> off another couple of the private uh, D&D or Pathfinder or uh, video game pages that I'm on, I would delete my Facebook. And uh, uh, Twitter, I post there occasionally. If it wasn't for the the podcast Twitter and the fact that I occasionally get uh, messages through my own Twitter, personal Twitter, again, I would have got rid of it because I'm not actively posting and I'm not actively participating in them. And I get that if you're not actively in something, why why bother continue to have that take up space? Yeah. And like, I say get that rid of it. as someone who enjoys photography, I enjoy images. I enjoy uh, I enjoy like again, not talking about titties here, but I enjoy visual stimulus. I enjoy seeing a nicely crafted image, something about the proportions, the way everything is displayed, the color, the lighting. I love imagery, but I'm not getting. Even with a camera and the phone and everything like that, I'm not engaging with this platform in a way I want to. And here's one thing I want to ask you about somebody who still has Facebook, because Facebook mm. owns Instagram. Instagram yep. 
is very pushy. It is very demanding of you to post something. Just throw something up there. Put, do, have, do you want? I want to post a an image. Uh, you got so many likes in the last one. You got all oh, this. I'm like, I got ten likes. Okay, calm the fuck down. Okay, <laughs> that that's not yeah. a lot for Instagram by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, I they, don't know if I've gotten those messages, but I'm just going to pop open the Instagram app here. Uh, the last thing that I uploaded got twenty three likes, and it was pictures of me uh, at rugby. One of which I'm putting my elbow into somebody's throat. Nice. <laughs> People like it was a charity. It was a charity game. <laughs> oh god, yeah. damn it! What more to do with uh, For some reason, they are very pushy on. God damn, I look great in this picture. <laughs> I'm going to shut down Instagram. <laughs> For some reason, they are very pushy on the stories part that they've built up recently. And that was all response yeah. to Snapchat and TikTok and stuff like that. And they, mm. for some reason keep wanting me to post on stories and i very rarely do i think i put one image out there uh a couple months ago and that was somebody asked me to do like the nine by uh, the three by three of your top albums that was the only reason i did it other than that i i don't like the format i uh i don't like the idea that i post something and then 24 hours later it's gone i don't see the value in that i want snapchat on instagram stories they all oh, right yeah yeah i keep seeing uh being told that so and so this person posted on a story don't you want to do that I'm like nah it, it kind of just sucks i'll be honest yeah. so yeah the reason why i stopped uploading pictures of myself on instagram is because it always felt so fucking needy like i put myself uh the last couple of pictures that i put up on myself at a rugby game that was just basically me going yeah i play rugby what, what are you gonna please? do about <laughs> like look at me like me and it's just like no you don't need that so now yes, if i do take, i do post stuff up on instagram it's just look here's my dog doing nothing because i mean i looked at my phone i think this is something about owning a dog you just take pictures of them constantly like i was sitting i was sitting in line playing a switch and he came in line next to me i was like oh look he's doing a cute thing now click it's it's not even the uh the owning of a dog it is the proximity to a dog You're, oh puppy and just immediately images and uh, I'm not here to throw yeah, shade yeah. at anyone, but there are some people out there, you know who you are, immediately, the second they are within 100 yards of a dog, out comes the fucking lens, let's get some snap, some glamour shots of this puppy, and you're, it's a fucking dog, mate, I've seen them yeah. before. One thing I fucking hate, I hate those people, but not for the not for the whole, like, I need to see this dog, right, it's whenever they see a dog, they immediately need to pick him up, right, I have... At the time this this happened, the story that I'm about to tell you, my dog was 11. This was two years ago. Uh, still an old dog, very anxious dog. Doesn't like he likes me. He likes the people in the household. He's accustomed Not to your tricky. smell. That's about it. He's accustomed to the family. He's getting better with other people. But at the time, if you picked him up, he would yelp, and immediately they put you. You'd have to put him down. I was taking him for a double. Uh, taking him for a walk out the back of oh, my house, which is it. a heavily wooded area in Bonas. A lot of people kick about there. A group of girls came over and said, oh, can we, can we uh, see your dog? And I was like, yeah, sure, no bite, just, you know, watch that you don't sneak up on him because he doesn't see that well. Then immediately they pick him up and they're sitting taking photos of him and Spud is howling. He is yelping his head off. It was like, I was like, can you put my fucking dog down and get the hell away from me? Like, that yelping noise is not him barking because he's happy. That's him say, saying, yo, dude, help me. These people are going to eat me. <laughs> I do not trust these humans. Get them the fuck away from me. Yeah. Give me back to the beardy one. He will take care of me. I would. I, I guess if you had, if you had to try and resolve that situation in like thirty seconds or less, uh, 
my go-to answer would be, he's a shelter dog from an abusive household. Put him down. He is going to bite you. <laughs> I would just I, go I straight think... to that. I ended it with he's a very anxious dog. That yelping, it's not him excited. He's just he's uncertain. He doesn't know you. You smell different. Put him down. And they just said, oh, it'll be fine. What I actually ended it with was he has diarrhea. <laughs> he will shit on you if you keep holding him. That's... And eventually they put him down. Okay, I was going to go with biting because most people would just say, oh, I'm afraid of violence. <laughs> you went with shitting. <laughs> oh, dude, this was at the time uh, where he's on better food now, but... Uh, the sort of wet food with the gravy and a uh, dog mixer was just really harsh in his stomach at the time and it was only sort of last year uh, sort of mid last year going towards this year that we got him on the proper food but at the time it was just stuff was running through him it was like I was I was half joking half being completely serious <laughs> he will shit on you if you don't put him down and it will not be not be good oh yeah I uh, just uh just to go back to the whole social media thing, let's uh, yep. yeah, take uh, take some time to reevaluate what you get out of apps. As much as like, it's easy to say I don't post here a lot, therefore I'm done. Think about what you get out of it, because I was getting yeah. nothing out of Instagram anymore. Yeah, like Instagram, I still use it because as someone who collects uh, Gundam model kits. I like to see what people have done with their model kits, how they've painted it, how they've customized it, and every single time I do it, it makes me feel woefully inadequate. Like, why <laughs> why do my model kits not look like that? Then I realise it's not because it's because I didn't spend eighty pounds on special markers and paints and paintbrushes to paint the fucking things. You didn't ship the authentic markers from Japan though. Why do you think it's a failure? Why do you think it's a failure? You used Games Workshop paints. Fuck you. <laughs> Actually. Quite a lot of people that I know that collect uh, Gundam model kits that I interact with, they say that Games Workshop paints work better. Oh, Citadel yeah. paints work better. To be fair though, I, if you look at certain painting kits that you get, I, I used to paint like model planes from World War Two. I don't know why. Mm. I just I, I found kits. I like building them. It was a pain in the ass because it was it's like the proper kits where everything's like a really detailed. Like, it put in each individual part of a like a turbo like a jet engine like each individual blade into the fucking thing there's no need for any of that but just put every individual blade into the jet engine you're like jesus christ who made this kit why do they hate people but i used to collect shit like that and uh, i just I, it's just one of those things where once you get into it it's very soothing but then you find a the community behind it and then you find the elite people in that community and you feel horrific about what you do. I have I've spoke to some people because at, at uh, Comic-Con every year, or every year that I've been going, which has been six years, yeah. well, if I went to Comic-Con this year, it would have been my sixth Comic-Con. I've been going for six years to Glasgow. And I always buy Gundam model kits because I just hate money, apparently. I just want to get rid of it. <laughs> I always buy model kits three or four at a time without without fail uh, and there's always this group of people that come by and go oh you're buying high grade can you not afford master grade or perfect grade I'm like, no i don't have 200 pounds to spend the fucking model kit that might break when my niece gets a hold of it <laughs> i think we talked about this as part of our uh i think it might be a showstopper one of the early shows we talked about some kid who got into his uh uncle's like three thousand, oh, it was fifty thousand uh, dollar Gundam collection, 
and the gun just went yeah. to fucking town. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'll never buy two to three hundred pound model kits because I have a niece that <laughs> throw things. She, she if I look to my left right now, my PC desk, I have a Vegeta Funko Pop. She lobbed that across the room because I told her that Vegeta could fly. She just, <laughs> yeah, bye. You've told me that story before. It's still fucking funny. <laughs> it's one of the many, many, many reasons why my seven-year-old niece, soon to be eight-year-old niece, is the best human being alive. <laughs> There's just no fucks given on a level we can't understand. <laughs> and that, that extends that if we're, if, you know, she's, she's, because she does this every so often, she'll say, Uncle Dom, can we go somewhere? Like, yeah, sure, let's go. But back, back in the before uh, C-Virus times, uh, they say, we'll go up to Falkirk or something, we'll get our toy or something. This, her no shit, no fucks given attitude extends to other people outside the family circle. <laughs> and she will... Uh, Is she that kid who asks why people are fat? Uh, no, she doesn't ask uh, She why. just tells them they're fat? <laughs> She doesn't uh, say that they're fat, but she will do. She will do things that she thinks is funny. Uh, she does this thing with uh, me and our other, me and my brother and her dad, uh, where if she's in a bit of a weird mood, instead of saying thank you, she'll go good boy and pat you on the head. <laughs> so when I took her to McDonald's, uh, we were getting this stuff taken over at the table, and she was in one of those just goofy moods, like utterly just strange young child moods. Because uh, she was she was happy she was out she was having fun like she, uh, the whole like most of the family were there, uh, uh, or she was going to get to see the rest of the family when she went home. She was spending time with her uncle Tom. She was out having fun. She, they put in the milkshake, the chicken nuggets, and the and the chips. And uh, I said to Lily, "What did you say to the man?" And without missing a beat, she went, "Good boy." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "God damn it! I can't say that's bad because I'm laughing my ass off." <laughs> at a certain point like the, the, the general stupidity becomes endearing and uh, you just can't help yourself but smile she is just like she's a smart she's a smart child like, I've spoke to some of her teachers because uh, I've had to pick her up from school quite a few times actually uh, well you are Uncle Dom that is your responsibility yeah. I, and I don't mind doing it because uh, a few times our teachers say make sure she does this homework and one time I just asked like, in general how is Lily at school and she fairly bright student she does get a bit carried away with a wee uh, random daft half hours but genuinely a bright student she does pretty well I was like, that's good to know so she's smart she just has a warped sense of humor that is uh yeah it's not the worst place to be in i mean there's, there's definitely a lot worse uh we, we all have that one family member you're like is everything okay with that kid yeah we're gonna do we need to do something? Can we help more? Is that what's needed? Do we need more family time, more attention, more uh, love, I guess? <laughs> a smart ass is not the worst situation to have on your hands. Yeah, I think she's smart enough to know how things work, but also just enough of a chancer to know how to push them and where to push them to and let them snap back into place. She knows how to bend the rules. Like she knows exactly what she can get away with when she's with Uncle Dom, but she can't <laughs> get away with that when she's with Dad or Gramps. Ah, I see. <laughs> There's great potential in the young one. We should teach her the ways of evil. <laughs> she's got a, like I've tried to get her to play rugby a few times because she has a mean fend. Like <laughs> <laughs> stiff arm people. <laughs> yeah, 
without without uh, skipping a beat, she will stiff arm someone. There was someone that was pushing her in a nursery. She was not even in primary school. She was in nursery. A little boy was bullying her, and apparently Lily just went get away from me and stiff armed him, <laughs> pushed him out of the way. And I was apparently her teacher said to my brother, her dad said, "You, you need to do something about that." He just said, yeah, I need to teach her how to do it properly. I need to, <laughs> I need to forge this into something that can be useful. So stuff arm is great, but you need forward momentum to change the way it moves, okay? You, <laughs> you need to shift the momentum from the back foot to the forward foot and carry that momentum forward. Keep driving. That's the important thing. Keep driving. Like Push like through the body, okay? You, you're going your way. They can't stop you. Believe in yourself. And if the stiff arm doesn't work, take the knees. There's no one that can survive taking the knees. <laughs> Is the mechanical advantage you have as a smaller person? <laughs> uh, I'd fucking love that. I'd, I, speaking of cheeky people, uh, I played Portal Two for the first time. For the first time. Yeah, I, uh, I, I didn't get much of the hype around Portal. And Portal Two and Portal. In fact, most Valve games, like Left 4 Dead, Left 4 Dead Two, Portal One and Two, they're always games that have been about for so long, and I've just assumed that everybody's played them. Yeah, I mean, I, I did play Left 4 Dead uh, 1 and 2, played it on the Xbox with brothers and stuff, and it was it was okay, it was good fun, uh, like, couch co-op in the kind of last generation of people that did couch co-op, which is a shame. I really feel that's kind of missing uh, from the current generation of gaming. And then Portal came around, there was like, oh, it's a great puzzle uh, platformer. I was like, I just don't have time for that, I don't want to do that. Uh, I want to play Gears of War, I want to chainsaw people in half of the gun, that seemed more fun to me. And uh, Portal just kind of got shifted to the side. Hmm. And then I played uh, Portal 1 on a shitty laptop. And sincerely regret that. Because it, it's a good game. Uh, I just didn't have anything better to run it on at the time. And didn't go out and buy I should have just bought a 360 copy of it. Now, now I think about it. I'm like, I made that game worse on purpose. So I have it still on my Steam library. So I might go back and play it now. And you can get Portal 1 on... I already have it. I bought it on uh, Steam uh, with yep. the shitty laptop, but it still carried over on my Steam profile because somehow I still have the same Steam profile from like 10 years ago. Oh, right. I have no idea how because everyone over five years has forgotten the password. Um, yep. So yeah, I, I played Portal 2 for the first time because I bought it with a with the pack of Portal 1 as well because it was bundled mm. together at some point. And I, I just played it through and if you want to talk about Cheeky, uh, the, the robots in that game are just pushing it I, I honestly was kind of annoyed at some point so i was like this is they're trying too hard to be funny in a way and as much as i love steven merchant it's just i'm kind of annoyed at this point if that makes sense like i'm just kind of fed up of yeah. listening to them try to be funny in a very telling way but it's a, it's an interesting game it was a very good challenge I, um made me feel stupid quite a lot of the time like i'm gonna just own that i was just not paying attention or just not thinking about rooms and challenges the way I should have been to make the game actually work properly. But uh, yeah, I, I got myself quite annoyed at certain points and then just got... I, I would quite often go in, start a level, get to a point I couldn't play anymore, leave the game, come back a half an hour later and then jump into the level back just to retry it and get it first time. That was a recurring pattern. So actually, I've played Portal 2. I never played the first one, but... I played Portal 2, never finished it. It's one of those games that I always keep saying to myself, I'll get back to this. Yeah. I'll get back to it someday. There's always something else that got in the way. 
I, uh, I'm trying to think of... If you played it, you enjoyed the core mechanics. Did you get to the introduction of the uh, the gels? Yeah. Where you have the, the bounce gel and the speed gel. The, yeah. And the, the concrete. There was a couple rooms that once you started introducing that, I'm like, I don't know how to combine certain things. But you figure it out eventually. Um, yeah. Especially with like the, I, I want to call it the tractor beam, where you can open a portal and have the tractor beam go through uh, various different, uh, like the portals and stuff like that, and it affects different things. I was kind of enjoying some of that, um, but you have to... A lot of the time you'll be undone by something you forgot to think about 10 minutes ago, and you have to go back, reset the room, and do it again from scratch. But you'll get it within 30 seconds once you know where to put the certain objects. Yeah. See, I found I had the same thing with the dungeons in uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. I spent ages scratching my head trying to figure out how the fuck did I do this, then I would leave it for a day and come back and be, oh, there it is. Like five seconds into the uh, dungeon, boom, done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's one thing you missed. One thing in your process of evaluating the room or solving the dungeon. For me, at one point, I forgot to look down. I never considered down as an option, and there was a thing right there. I was like, oh, once I put that there and put this in different places, I'm done. And I, I say, like, I put a port on the right place, and I'm done in thirty seconds. And it's like, ah, fuck. I feel like such an idiot. Forgetting this, not like forgetting it wrong by doing everything else other than the one solution, which I guess is I, I guess I like it for that. But the actual like the monologues and stuff, I just I, I turned it off eventually. I just like listened to like podcasts and live streams and stuff like that. Which is weird because I heard that's I've always seen that as being one of the better parts of it is its dialogue and its humor. I I personally the, the bit that I played a portal to found Stephen Merchant to be quite funny, and same with uh, Ellen McLean Glados. Like some of the shit that she says to uh, Shell, Shell, which is funny yeah. as hell. I enjoyed the uh, Port One, and I, I actually was okay with it. But I feel like they got Stephen Merchant in, and we're like, oh, now we have the big name uh, actor because Stephen Merchant at the time was pretty doing pretty well for himself. I think this I think would so. have just been after the Office wrapped, which I'd say is maybe the height of his. But I mean, yeah, he's done other roles, and we'll get back to that in a second. But. Um, I I think this might be considered the height of his geek power, um, and they just said, "Oh, we've got him. We've we have the chosen one. Let's uh, let's use him to the best of his talents." And he's a very talented man, but I just was like, "You guys wrote way too many jokes for this," and uh, kind of bored. You know, I'm, I'm bored of listening to people try to be funny without uh, actually. There's something different about like a stand-up performance to someone just trying to be funny. If that makes sense. It's kind of the problem when they get in the the comedic actor. They they tend to write maybe one too many jokes so they can put. Because Stephen Merchant, he could say normal things that regular people would say in conversation, and he could say that and would get people laughing. They tend to start writing things in such a way where they overcompensate with every other character and try to make them just as funny as uh, Wheatley. Yeah, his delivery is impeccable on some of his stuff. And I will say I enjoyed the uh, the final boss fight for the uh, for Wheatley uh, more than I did for Glados. I uh, yeah, I found it was very it wasn't a massive challenge. Like once you figure out the mechanic of the fight, you're like, oh, I could go, I could do this easy. Um, but actually figuring it out is a lot of fun, and it's quite in, it's, it's quite intuitive. Like you can figure it out quite easily with uh, what you've got. So I was a big fan of that. Um, but speaking of Stephen Merchant and uh, him playing funny characters, we forgot about this last week. You actually brought it up, or the la- I say last week, last episode, you talked about wanting to uh, discuss Jojo Rabbit. Oh, 
absolutely. And we, uh, I, I, sorry, I distracted the entire fucking conversation and I yanked it fucking 90 degrees to something else and we just ignored you finally watching one of my favourite movies and it wasn't until I sent you the picture of my copy of Jojo Rabbit that uh, I realised that we'd forgotten it in the last episode. So I gotta ask, what was your opinion of Jojo Rabbit? I thought it was, I thought it was pretty damn good. Uh, it was, it was funny at the right moments. Uh, Taika Waititi again hits it at the park when making a comedy movie. Uh, but I had kind of random, not random. I had a lot of really, really good sort of heartfelt moments. There was moments that uh, where Jojo and one of the other characters, Jojo and his mother, were having these, you know, quite heartwarming conversations. It was something that I didn't expect from a. A film about a child whose imaginary friend is Hitler. <laughs> and, uh, I think the the strongest point of the movie is its characters. Sam Rockwell's character, the the blind in one eye, almost Lord Flashheart type Nazi, yeah, uh, who's just now stuck to training, and then due to another fuck up, gets stuck uh, doing desk work. Uh, and Scarlett Johansson's character, who is, you know, trying to help her son. This is a weird sentence. Trying to help her son be the best Nazi he can be, but also at the same time as working for, well, uh, trying to be an ally to the allies, uh, and the some of the other supporting cast like Rebel Wilson. What the fuck did she bring to that film? I had questions about that as soon as I finished. As soon as I left that movie, like when she shows up, I'm like, okay, she's being a bit awkward. She's being a bit weird. I guess this is just her way of doing things. I don't watch many of her films because uh, she appears in movies I don't like the look of. There's a lot of musical stuff in her background and I'm like, eh, not, not really my thing. And then when I left that, I was like, that entire movie could exist without Rebel Wilson and I wouldn't care less about it. And I just felt bad for feeling that way about Rebel Wilson because she's just somebody who was doing a job. I will offer in this, a dissenting opinion. Without Rebel Wilson in that movie, you miss it in one of the best dark lines you'll have in a film. Where she, the, the clones walk up to her, she sticks a grenade in her back pocket and says, "See the Americans, go and hug them." <laughs> I just, every clone. That line is great, but I also enjoy the uh, the, the line at the start where you're talking about the boys are going to go out and they're going to go wrestle, they're going to fight, they're going to go shoot guns, they're going to throw grenades, and women will learn housework. <laughs> That's the Nazi training regime for women is learn how to be uh, impregnated and learn how to do housework. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, uh, what she said something like, learn the best chances to sire an alien child. Yes. <laughs> something really horrific about the fact that women were just used for breeding at that point. You know, like, okay. <laughs> that was a little darker than I expected, but I guess this is a movie about the Nazis, so oops. That one's kind of on me. Well, my, my personal favourite character was uh, Jojo's friend, the kid with the glasses the and the black The little fat kid, kid yeah. <laughs> he manages to keep his German accent going through most of it, but he slips into New Zealand quite a bit. Yeah. He's very obviously, like, I, I think of, uh, obviously, like, Taika being from New Zealand has worked with a lot of uh, New Zealand talent, and he worked with uh, the kid in uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, is the uh, same really kid... Is the one in Deadpool two, and I was like, oh shit, it's the kid from that. Like I put those two together, and he obviously loves casting uh, like New Zealand talent. And I wonder if that the little kid, the little fat kid from Jojo Rabbit, is related to the kid from Hunt for the Wilder People because they look kind of similar. 
I don't know if they just happen to look similar or if it's like a weird coincidence or if they're actually related. But if that's the little brother, I'd find that even funnier just because of the, the casting. Because I know that I don't think his last name is Dennison. The ah. kid from uh, Deadpool and Hunt for the Older People, his last name was Julian Dennison. Or his full name was Julian Dennison. Uh, I'll look into that. It's probably not true, but I just I, I find them looking very similar. I was like, if that's his little brother, this makes this ten times funnier. <laughs> it's, it's the fact that even the, even though he's in a war and he's his uh, uniform is essentially cardboard, he's still happy. He's having a great time. It's them walking down the street as robots. <laughs> I'm the trash man. I'm here for your metals. <laughs> it's uh, it's that, and at the end, there's the the end scene. I find really weird because uh, it it makes you kind of sad that all these characters are gonna die. They are basically consigning, like, regardless of if they die in the battle, if they die in the Russian uh, executions that fall afterwards, they are all dead. Everyone in the story that isn't a, an innocent is going to die. And most of the innocents were dead already because Nazi regime. And uh, I, I think it's probably. Where, where Jojo and the, the Jewish girl just start dancing because I thought that was funny as hell. <laughs> so, what do we do now? The war's over. Street dance? No. <laughs> but the uh, I, I like the scene of during the final battle where uh, like Jojo and the little kid, uh, the fat kid, remember, or they just have a friend moment in the middle of all hell breaking loose around them. Like there's buildings burning in background, uh, like automatic rifle shots going over their shoulders, and like, oh hey Jojo, how's it going? You know, like, oh that's adorable. That that would be that'd be a tragic moment <laughs> to look back on as an older man and go, we we just high fived each other in the middle of a fucking war zone. There's buildings getting blown up around you. I uh, it's been a while since it came out. I think we can talk the spoilers. Yes, I suppose we can. Yeah. How did you feel about the butterfly scene? The butterfly scene. Jojo is putting up posters in the town, and he is distracted by a butterfly that he oh, follows yeah. around, and then the camera turns to reveal his mother's shoes as she's yeah, hanging from the gallows. In a pure, from a pure cinematography stance, I thought, "Holy shit, that is a good shot! It's a really nice, powerful shot." But in a, you know, thematic sense, that's fucked up. <laughs> that's a very fucked up scene. That hit me in the heart. Not even in the chest, yeah. just straight through the like through the solar plexus, straight into the fucking heart of like, yeah. oh, that was not where. I, it's a very good misdirection of. Uh, I thought it'd be. Like, just used as a, a framing thing of, like, oh, Jojo is so distracted by the nature's beauty, he doesn't notice his town going to shit around him. And it's like, oh, no, wait, this is how they reveal that uh, his mother has died and has been caught as a spy. And uh, I, I see fantastic direction, cinematography, the way it looks, uh, the kids' acting is amazing. There's so few good children actors. Um, and I, I recently saw clips of Fuller House, uh, or sorry, Full House, and it's like the kid acting in that is horrific. It might be one of the worst examples of child, child acting I've ever seen. But then you compare it to uh, the kid from, like, you compare it to JoJo's performance as an actor, yeah. like, that is, that should be beyond you. You should not be capable of that moment of sitting there in the cobbled street looking at your mother. Yes. Just talking about the, the, the kid that played uh, Jojo, him and the the kid with the glasses and the black hair, they reminded me of a, a very, very young 
Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. They have that kind of dynamic about them. <laughs> yeah, they do. They're going to do some pretty good shit in the future. They're going to do some really funny movies. How are they doing it? I think I've seen a few interviews after uh, this came out, and that kid seems to be okay. I think he seems to be quite sharp and with it. Like, he's not... There, there's sometimes you see kid actors and you're just like, you're not okay. There's something wrong yeah. here. Um, he seems quite with it, and I, I like him. I, I can see him doing good things, I think. Without a doubt, whatever Taika Waititi does next, that kid's going to be in it. If he's in the new Star Wars film as a, a space New Zealander, I'm fine with that. <laughs> we already had a killer robot that was voiced by a Kiwi in Mandalorian, so more space Kiwis. <laughs> and uh, we also, I mean, just Taika's influence now in Disney as part of the MCU is growing, and I'm I'm happy about that. I'm really happy about that. Um, and yeah, Captain, I've got the IMDb, IMDb page up here. Uh, Sam Rockwell played Captain Klesnadorf. Klesnadorf? Mm-hmm. Uh How do you feel about his final scene? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It was. Uh, you could always tell that he might. His loyalty was always to the to the, the Nazi regime at the time, but you could tell he was he was looking out for Jojo. Yeah. Is a. I thought it was a. It was a good send off for the character that was ultimately just trying to look out for him. Like he was willing to sell you. Or he was willing to take that ultimate step to make sure that uh, Jojo was safe, I suppose. Yeah. I uh, also have a look, actually, we'll get the IMDb page up. Uh, the kid's name for the uh, kid who played Yorkie is Archie Yates. So he's probably not related to the kid from uh, I don't know for the world of people, but worth a shot. Uh, yeah. yeah, and Roman Griffiths Davis. Jojo is, uh, he's British. He's English. Yeah, Roman Griffiths Davis. Yeah, that's a very English name. Yeah, he's... Three of them, all of them very English. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I I really love this film and I'd highly recommend it. Um, I really hope you haven't, uh, hope you've not seen the movie, or if you hope you've seen the movie before we spoil it for you. Uh, whoops, probably should have thought of that before we started talking spoilers, but oh well, we'll see. Uh, if this, if we spoiled the film for you, you knew, you know how World War Two ends. It's <laughs> Spo- probably too big a surprise to spoil a film that's about Hitler. Yeah. In a sense, but yeah, I still recommend that you go and see it. It's probably one of the better films that you'll see from end of last year, start of this year. Definitely uh-huh. go and see it. It's worth a, worth a pickup. And to be honest, it's lockdown. You need something to do. What else are you gonna do? Uh, I also grabbed that. I mean, I talked about the. I sent you a shot of like five or four uh, movies that I bought at the same time. Mm-hmm. One of them being Jojo Rabbit. Uh, one of them being Knives Out that I've already seen. Yeah, we spoke about that podcast before. It's on my Amazon wish list. Um, it's actually available on Amazon TV, if that's your uh, your streaming platform of choice. It's not that expensive. I just wanted the DVD or the Blu-ray because there is apparently 130 minutes of making of and I am fascinated to find out how they made this movie. I've seen some clips and some videos and stuff they've done with uh, essentially the, the way that most films are promoted now is you have the actors go out into the TV side of things but directors and technical side of people go out and do YouTube videos and they'll go get interviewed by like GQ and stuff like that and they'll have these breakdowns with uh, talking about different scenes and stuff that have appeared in trailers so they don't really spoil anything but even before a movie has come out you can see part of how it was made which I found really interesting but the uh, the Knives Out DVD uh, Blu-ray has arrived uh, as along with uh, 1917 which also features uh, uh, behind the scenes which I'm fascinated to learn because apparently it is supposed to look all like it's one long shot and I'm like interesting how the fuck did you pull this off 
Uh, yeah, and the, two films he showed that I was actually really interested in was Knives Out and 1917. There's another one that I think you'll probably want to expand a bit on, but I'm, I've heard 1917 had people in tears, full-blown just... Uh, my grand went to see it, and she doesn't like action films. She is a very... Uh, she's just not into that type of thing. She said this was a fantastic movie. Um, just like, and she's not one to easily praise a story, but she said that like, you know, the basic themes are very simple, but the way it's told and the the punishment that the characters go through, you feel for them the entire way through. I was like, that's an interesting view from you. I've never, we don't really talk much about films. Um, I'll, like she'll occasionally uh, get me going. She'll just ask me about a film that I've seen recently. And all of a sudden I have like a 30 minute monologue about camera work and direction and lighting and acting and I'd just be going on and on and on about random crap from movies. And uh, But it was weird to see her come back with the same intensity about a film. So that's what got me really interested about it. Um, and I've got Parasite as well, which I've lined up because when somebody wins an Oscar and it's a foreign language film, I'm like interesting what did you do what what magic did you uh did you bottle to make someone make you give uh what uh, what made them give you that oscar i've heard it's a really really good film but very uncomfortable and at times i heard uh i was listening to a rich teeth podcast where uh, gus sarola said he's watched it maybe 30 times and i'm like oh shit <laughs> that's i mean it takes effort for me to watch something twice um, like I normally just sit down and watch something once and that's me done with it um, I think like some of the big exceptions that are literally Deadpool that might be the biggest film I've watched twice hmm. and uh, after that it's all just like weird niche horror stuff so that something gets uh, 30 playthroughs from someone who I really admire for their, their taste in cinema that's interesting um, although weird to see that it's listed as comedy, drama and thriller that was not Our, what I had it pegged as. Hmm. So, I, from what I've heard, people were just saying it's a, it's a horror film. The way it handles itself is a horror film. Mm-hmm. So, is it being characterised as a comedy? Nah. Something, something right here. And after reading the description, and, I feel like, and seeing the, uh, the, the poster, <laughs> it's going to be a damn good not-not joke, so I'm going to say. <laughs> Although, actually, speaking of Parasite... Um, there is on Netflix a, uh, a new, I say new show, but it's uh, Parasite, uh, I've just fucking forgotten the name of it. Um, it is the Parasite adaptation for anime. The manga is regarded as one of the best of all time, which is oh, very... Is that Parasite with a Y? Uh, why do... I'm looking at a website to explain what the name of this is. And the initial name is, yeah, it's Parasite with a Y, Parasite the Maxim. Yeah. Um, and I I watched episode one of that today, and I am very interested to see how it goes, because I like it. Um, most of I the- remember, this is, this is going way back in the day, I, I think I might have been 10 or 11. I was in a charity shop with my parents in Stirling, or maybe Stirling or Goonsmith, I can't remember, it doesn't matter. But I was rooting through the pile of comics that they had, and I found a single issue, a Gundam comic, mm-hmm. which I don't know where the fuck this guy got this from. But at the back of it was Parasite uh, adverts for the uh, Parasite the Maxim adverts, and it just looked weird as hell because it was the person's head splitting open, yeah, the eye line and just teeth and more eyes and like weird tentacles and shit popping out of there. 
Yeah, I'm also- I'm watching the anime for this. I have no background on the manga itself, but basically, uh, parasites have landed from space and are taking over human bodies. Uh, they're taking them over, and they can transform the body into whatever they want. Uh, the first episode actually features the the guy realizing he has one of these parasites digging into his hand. He uses his earphones, like his cable earphones, as a tourniquet, cuts off circulation to his arm, which means that the parasite only exists in his hand, and he uh, that's where the main character gets his uh, look from, is that he has the entire weird like face-shifting bug in his hand where everyone else, like he's the parasite in his hand and also still himself, whereas most of these bugs try to land in the ear, burrow in, and then take over the entirety of the body by shutting down the human brain. Um, the first episode features them meeting another parasite that has latched itself onto a dog, and uh, the dog tries to kill him. And you're like, oh shit! And uh, it's a very interesting show so far, mostly because in the English dub, the parasite is voiced by the girl who voiced uh, Wendy Marvel in Fairy Tale. So I'm used to seeing her as a, an adorable little girl to be protected and treasured at all costs. And here she is as a monster parasite that shifts a hand into like a five-finger talon of absolute monstrous murder. So it's a weird uh, it's a weird switch for her. It's not what I'm used to seeing. Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always a performance just like that. Yeah, I was used to... I mean, what I'm watching right now is probably have no surprise to anybody that Dom is watching something Batman related but I'm currently watching Batman in the animated series which as many people know has Kevin Conroy voicing the Batman. I'm used to him being I'm used to hearing Kevin Conroy voice the Batman but I watched a TV show on Adult Swim called The Venture Brothers mm-hmm. where Kevin Conroy voices a character called Captain it's either Captain Rainbow or Captain Sunshine who's just the depressed superhero that <laughs> cries whenever people ask him to do things it's just a breakdown when en- whenever anyone asks them to do the slightest thing. Uh, it was just it was weird but funny as hell. And, uh, so the characters which can be funny if they do it right. If I can give a little quick recommendation for Parasite, it was animated by Studio Madhouse, who are responsible for Death Note, the first season of One Punch Man, and what else can I point to? High School of the Dead, Overlord. Yet yeah, th- these guys have pedigree. Oh, also Black Lagoon and Helsing Ultimate. These guys make some stunning visual anime. I, that's part of the reason I'm really looking forward to it, was I saw the Madhouse uh, logo during the trailer that's on Netflix. I was like, here we fucking go, boys. We're watching all of this. So Parasite the Maxim. I'll probably be discussing that at some point in the next episode because there's only 24 episodes, so I could probably burn through that pretty quickly given the time off and the quarantine and the fact there's nothing really else to do than watch yeah, random crap on Netflix. Yeah. Oh, it's funny that you said death. You started off with Death Note. I thought, I thought you're not trying to sell me in this place just by saying Death Note because I don't like that show. <laughs> I thought Death Note was quite bad. Really? Oh, interesting. I did not like Death Note. Uh, one Punch Man season one was fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Not a fan of Death Note whatsoever. I don't like anime. I don't like anything where the bad guy is the the main focus because uh, what's his name? Light Yagami is the bad guy. He kills. With, 200,000 is he though is he though he's meant to be the bad guy he's he's doing bad things for good purpose fuck him pretentious asshole yeah he's he's a little bit up his own asshole I'll be I'll I'll be frank frank with that one Um, take that potato crisp that you're going to eat and shove up your nose (laughs) the the line I'll take a potato chip and eat it belongs in history 
It is fan fucking tastic. Nah, fuck it. My my brother and I yell that at each other occasionally. <laughs> if we're ever up at my mum's and we open a pack of chips, <laughs> we're like, I'll take a potato chip and eat it. <laughs> we just yell at each other across the room and no one else watches anime, so no one has a clue what we're talking about. And we have to go and explain it all. We're like, like it's, it's show. <laughs> I've actually seen, I, th- I can't remember if it was Mother's Basement. I think he did a breakdown of why that scene is actually really good. And I walked away from that video going, he has a very good point. <laughs> but still, that meme is hilarious. I think I actually caught Mother's Basement, one of his videos on YouTube a while ago, talking about, uh, I think it might be an Evangelion. I didn't watch much of it, but I thought, this guy knows what he's talking about, but I don't have the time to spend, I think it was 25 minutes listening about Evangelion. Yeah, he uh, he knows his stuff, but the way that a lot of anime YouTubers look at things, you have to dive all the way through the history and all the way through uh, what it means, where the where the manga intended it to go, how the anime interpreted it, and how like there's just a, a weird process that seems to have built up from. Um, I mean, I'd much rather if I was doing it, I'd do like five or six minute videos on certain things, but it shifted at some point to longer form video essays. Kind of away from like video essays to uh, video uh, dissertations, so I I find it kind of hard to keep up with all of them, especially the one like there's a lot of people who are really worth listening to when it comes to anime, and I'd say Mother's Basement is one of them, but uh, it's just a lot to keep up with. I think at this point it's just I've actually been thinking about this quite a lot because I I bought a few uh, Gundam related Blu-rays. I bought Gundam Wing Endless Sports, the Gundam Wing movie on Blu-ray. I bought. Uh, Gundam Thunderbolt December Sky because I've been wanting to get into that show but then I found out that uh, the movies have been compiled or the TV series has been compiled into two compilation movies first part I have December Sky the second part's either out now or coming out soon and I bought a Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust and uh, a couple other things like Berserk the animated series Berserk the animated series uh, Berserk the The Golden Arc series and uh, Cowboy Bebop and that sort of thing. And I, I realised that it's not that I don't like anime. I think I just don't like any new anime because it doesn't really grab me in the way that old shit does. Because you watch Cowboy Bebop, there's something about that that just makes you want to watch more. I Modern think, anime, I just don't think does that. I think that in itself, like the, the Cowboy Bebop show is of an impeccable quality that I don't think has been matched in a long while. There are some good shows. Um, for example, I'm really excited about Attack on Titan Season 4. I can't wait to see how this whole show looks once we finish it. I think it'll be uh, different from how we started, but I, I think it's going to be up there with the greats. I think that uh, Cowboy Bebop itself is just on a whole other level. Like it belongs in a category that goes beyond this, its medium, in a way. Like This belongs in the great history of art, in a weird way. I don't know why I feel that way. I, just, I watch it and I feel a certain way about that show. Um, which is why yeah. I don't know if you heard about the live action adaptation. Yeah, I'm optimistic for it, but only because I know who's who's doing it. I think uh, the creator of Cowboy Bebop, uh, Watanabe, he's involved. Yeah, it, he had something to do with the casting, and John Cho is uh, Spike Spiegel. I think he can do it. I think yeah. he can do a good job. It just needs to get both the skill of uh, Spike Spiegel, you know, and how he fly shoots and you know fights yeah he's a but he also needs to get a kind of dry wit as well 
yeah, Spike Spiegel is definitely a very competent individual, and that needs to come across. But he's also he seems very laid back and calm and zen. But at the same time, he is a trained professional. I think that needs to be brought across properly. That's why the instant go to is oh, get Keanu Reeves. It's like mm, can't really rely yeah. on him for everything. It's- yeah, Keanu Reeves can't do anything. And speaking of Keanu Reeves, I'm very glad that he brought him I was going to just quickly uh, just say, Faye Valentine, they've confirmed that she will not be wearing that exact outfit for the live-action version, which is understandable because you're basically naked. Yeah, that, that's understandable. You can't really complain about that. Yeah, you can't say, yeah, we're all for me too, but also at the same time, hey, can you wear like, this lingerie set <laughs> for, yeah, I don't know, it's... 16 weeks while we film a TV show? You gotta imagine it'd be uncomfortable as well. Yeah, it's all it's all I don't say spandex or leather, but it looks that type of material. Like it looks like PVC. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't look comfortable. It looks like the kind of stuff that squeaks when you run. Yeah, but Keanu Reeves. Yeah, uh, did I know you're not a big uh, Bill and Ted fan? But did you watch Bill and Ted back in the day? No, um, I don't think so. Oh, I'm trying to remember what I watched. There was something. I think I watched something else. What's the one with the devil? <laughs> devil? Yeah. Somebody summons the devil. I think it was something else. I cannot for the life remember. It's definitely not Bill and Ted. Because uh, Bill and Ted's time travel. I watched something yeah. with uh, the devil. So I'll find out what that was. I think that might be Tenacious D. No. Pick of Destiny. It's something else. I'll find... <laughs> so I'll... not on Bill and Ted 2, they go to hell. Uh, Bill and Ted 2. Bill and Ted's bogus journey... Um, does the devil uh, appear in a park at some point? The devil appear in a park? Yeah. Yeah, I oh, don't think Little I... Nicky? Are you thinking of Little Nicky? I'm thinking of Little Nicky, yeah. Yeah, a common mistake to make, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, I'm going to get so much shit for this. Probably, yeah. Send all your shit... Yes, Little Nicky. Send all your shit to Iron Lord... <laughs> Iron Lord Mad on Twitter. Feel free. Uh, Holy... I just got something that we, we need to talk about. Something just showed up on my Twitter that we fucking need to talk about. Let's go we through Bill and Ted's uh, news for the first thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, the so, Bill and Ted, uh, Ted uh, trailer uh, released. Uh, two, so it's a typical, uh, these people, like high school students, not interested in high school, but they want to rock. Uh, so, Bill S. Preston Esquire, Ted Theodore Logan, played by Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, respectively, uh, they have this band, Wild Stallions, and they just want to make it big. There's the Battle of the Bands uh, that they need to get to, but they've got a history report. This is the first movie I'm talking about. They've got a history report to do. And they're not going to do it because they want to get good for Battle of the Bands. Uh, George Carlin plays right. a character called Rufus who comes back or comes forward or comes to the past to tell them, you need to do this report because if you don't do the report, you don't... Uh, go to the Battle of the Bands, you don't win the Battle of the Bands, and you don't become the saviours of the new universe. <laughs> so, George Carlin takes them back in time, they find historical figures, Joan of Arc, Genghis Khan, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Billy the Kid, and uh, Socrates, Socrates, <laughs> and they present them uh, as, they help them do their uh, history report, essentially. And some of the shit, they got, it's, it's just typical, you know, 90s, 90s movie, Mayhem ensues, Genghis Khan puts on a uh, American football gear, steals a skateboard, starts beating up things with a steel baseball bat. Uh, Mozart shows up, no sorry, Beethoven, uh, Beethoven shows up and he starts playing a shit ton of different keyboards in the middle of a shopping centre in America. It's just dumb fun with Keanu, with a very young Keanu Reeves. 
I urge people to watch them because they, I can't imagine the Blu-rays would be very expensive. Pick them up and watch them. I think given the announcement of a third movie, it's going to get a little bit more expensive than it was before. Oh, yeah, probably. But the, the, the trailer for the third movie, I've watched it a couple of times and I'm hopeful, cautiously hopeful, but hopeful nonetheless. I'm looking forward to this movie. I think they do it in such a way that it works. If it's a passion project, I have faith in it. If it's just yeah. a cash grab, I I can't see jo- I can't see Keanu Reeves. I almost said I can't see John Wick making a cash grab, but I can't see Keanu yeah. Reeves making a cash grab. Yeah, but the one thing I will say is that obviously they are a lot older than they used to be. It is quite obvious. I think that they're not as. There's a chance to make that movie work on on the the context of these guys are older now. Have they got their act together? Or do they still think the band deserves one more try? I think that, I think at this at this point they keep getting told that your music will save the whole premise of the next one is they keep getting told that your music will save the world, but they they need to write this one song that the universe are going well. Let's not keep going. Let's just not wait for inspiration strike. Let's go forward in time, and you know find us who have already written this you know world saving song. Interesting. Okay, uh, yeah, it's going to be weird having a Bill and Ted film without George Carlin, but they could probably get some other old comedian to step in. How weird get is it going to be? Get Black in there, that'd be fucking hilarious. <laughs> How weird is it going to be when it's... I mean, Lewis Black would be amazing. <laughs> I know we're like, we've got the future, who's going to save the universe? It's a very, very angry Lewis Black who has been doing coke for three days straight. <laughs> but I was going to say... Awesome I, I was going to say Rogan. There's no way he's involved, but... <laughs> I mean, it could work, but uh, I, I doubt Joe Rogan would do it. <laughs> yeah, he... No offence. No, he doesn't want to be Joe involved Rogan, in the, the Hollywood cycle anymore, so... All right, I was going to say, no offence to Joe Rogan, but I can't see him being a a great actor. Nah, he, he, he's admitted that he just he just wants out of all that. Uh, he says too much nah, I, I don't blame him. Seeing that shit just looks awful. Although I did go back and watch a bunch of uh, Dave Chappelle skits, and including uh, Tyrone Biggums meets Joe Rogan. <laughs> so Tyrone uh, Biggums, the crack-dealing homeless guy that uh, Dave Chappelle played for a couple of years, uh, goes on Fear Factor, and just, it's it's fucking hilarious, honestly. <laughs> There's a bunch of Chappelle sketches that I've been re-watching, because uh, we never actually saw the show here in the UK. I don't know if you saw any of it, but I didn't. Chappelle's uh, show was on... Uh... Comedy Central for a little bit. I caught a few episodes. I, I could never find it. I, I I heard about it too late. It wasn't on circulation at the time, so I never really sat down and watched. I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna get it. Sorry, uh, but I saw what was it the um, all the skits with the Wu Tang Clan, where he actually gets members of the Wu Tang Clan. I'm like shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's some influence right there. That's some power there, uh, to bring out those guys. But the yeah. uh, the racial draft was the funniest thing I've seen in ages. Because it's yeah, got Bill the, Burr in it, a very young Bill Burr. Oh, an extremely young Bill Burr. And uh, was it the Player Haters Ball, where it's got Patrice O'Neill? Holy yeah. shit. Like, the the fact that that sketch is five minutes long, mm. the bloopers are 11 minutes. The bloopers that they're showing you are 11 minutes as, like, a DVD extra. Can you imagine yeah. the riot on set? That must have been, like, six hours of just people busting balls. <laughs> just cracking the hell up. But you said there was something you we needed to talk about. Well, something that's probably not going to be important to you, but something that just popped up on my Twitter 
and it was literally the very first game I ever played. Uh, a game called Alex Kid is getting a DX version. Alex, basically, spell the Alex ki- Kid. Spell Kid for me. K I D D. K I D D. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Alex Kid and Medical World DX has just been announced, and I'm not gonna lie, it's genuinely the first game I ever played, because uh, huh. everyone else was everyone else was on the Mega Drive. Older brother was playing Sonic. I had the Master System. I don't think we had many games for the Master System, but if you closed the Master System over and pushed the power button, Alex Kidd would play. And I, play, I think I must have played the first level of that game about 100 times because it was fucking solid. See, I was on the Mega Drive as well. I've never heard of this. Oh, it was on a, It wasn't even on Mega Drive. It was on Master System. Oh, right. This was before the Mega Drive. This looks really weird. I, it looks like I'm looking at it now on Google. It kind of looks like Proto Mario. Any word way. Like that weird kind of... I think of... it came out. When did it come out? Hold on, I've got 1986. I don't know when Mario came out, but I think it was well before 1986. Yeah. The yeah, ori- without a doubt. Original Mario is a time trip. Like, it's, it is something else. Uh, Mario, yep. did Mario. He appears in 1981, I think. Main appearances, 1981. Yep. Probably kick-started the whole... Uh, I'm platformer guessing, yeah, thing. I was going to say guessing puzzle platformer or just platformer? Uh, Alex Kidd, uh, it's just a platformer. Yeah, I've been looking uh, probably... to someone like streaming uh, like Sega classic stuff, like the real mm. old stuff, stuff that we don't really remember that well. And I'm considering grabbing a couple of titles because I talked to you about uh, Streets of Rage and how that yeah. just could never be my game uh, just because it was yeah. something that's just, it, it's beyond, like I'm okay with first person shooters, I'm not the best gamer on the planet, not even close. Um, but such a weak mindset, though, Colin. You need to be the best gamer. I just, I am. I just, I am, bro. I just, I wake up in the morning, I game. I <laughs> but the uh, like stuff like Shoot Your Rage and stuff, I missed a lot of that because we had like four games in the house. One of them was Sonic, and I was never good at it. The other one was the uh, the Terminator game that came out for the Sega Mega Drive, which was awesome. Uh, but the oh, only- Terminator versus Robocop? No, just Terminator. There was a Terminator huh. video game, and uh, I only saw my dad beat it. That's the that's the furthest anyone got. Was my dad almost beat it? He died on the last boss, and then he restarted it. Like this is like, guys, we're gonna stay up past bedtime because dad's gonna beat Terminator. Mark, here we fucking go, gamers, and just went for it. It was fucking amazing. <laughs> Genuinely well cherished childhood memory is my dad saying. Guys, you're gonna stay up late. I'm gonna be Terminator. Fuck this. <laughs> and uh, what was the other one? I think no, that was a PS One game. I was thinking about uh, like the old FIFA games, like way back at the start when it was like, oh, you've got this player who looks identical to every other player because uh, the pixel count was. He just five. a different number on his back. You couldn't see the number on the back. It was just, dude. Yeah. It looked like a foosball table. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, I've never played this game. I'm very, very intrigued. But that's getting a re-release. What's the platform it's going to be on? I think well guess it's uh, the Switch. I'm going to hazard a guess and say it'll be Switch. It's going to be probably PS5 and Xbox Series X, which is a stupid name. But it's going to be a good console. Yeah. Call it the Xbox 2. Why the Xbox Series X? <laughs> You're going to have a Wii U problem with that, I guarantee it. People are just going to assume it's another Xbox One redo and just not buy it. I guarantee it. But yeah, it'll, it'll probably be on everything. PC, Steam, fuck it, it might even come out in a fridge. <laughs> yeah, games kind of get like that now. But I'm just actually yeah. looking at the like release news from uh, I've got Venture Beat here as the news source. 
interesting mm. artwork. Kind of like the look of it. It's a lot. It it looks like it belongs as the next generation of it. Um, but yeah, yeah, based on the fact they're talking about it in the same breath as uh, Streets of Rage Four, I'm saying Switch exclusive. Is this yeah. a Sega title? Maybe come yeah, to I PC mean, at some point. If you'd have told a, a very young Dom Anderson, like single digit age Dom Anderson, that in 2020. Alex Kidd's going to get a cool HD remake. Streets of Rage 4 is going to happen. Uh, you're going to get to play a Spider-Man game that doesn't feel awful and you have to use cheats to finish. If you'd told him that I'd do that, I'd probably just passed out in front of you. Like, <laughs> young Dom wouldn't be able to take that. That's too much. Anything you'd, you'd hear that and say, but that's too far away. <laughs> freeze me now. <laughs> I think about the uh, there's a South Park episode where he, uh, Cartman freezes himself. To try and wait for the, I think it's the, yeah. I think it may be the Nintendo, uh, Nintendo Wii. Uh, yes, the Wii. He wants the Wii to come out, so he freezes himself and instead goes like three thousand years in the future. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not I, gonna lie, I'd do it. I'd, I'd do it, even though at the age of five, I think Streets of Rage three might have just come out, so I had enough to do then. But dude, HD Streets of Rage four. In fact, the concept of HD would have knocked me unconscious back in the day. I wonder like, I what thought... that's gonna be like when we. I mean. We can go back and watch uh, remastered black and white movies and we have some understanding of what it's like. There's now a generation of kids who have never seen anything less than HD footage. I want to take kids like that and say, this is a 144p YouTube video. This is uh, standard definition. This is terrestrial television where there's three channels. Because we were just in the last dying days of that. I've seen, uh, not just, I've seen my niece, she's reacted to, when her when she's using a tablet and the Wi-Fi gets a bit spotty and they drop the signal to try and make you let the or play the rest of the video, they drop the quality so you can watch the rest of the video. Uh, she can says it's broken, you need to fix it. It's it's just three sixty P. That's how we used to watch television back in the day. <laughs> if I put on the, the PlayStation you your eyes would burn. I uh I, I'd love to see the output you get if you take like uh I mean, for some reason, like, the, the really old stuff, like 8-bit stuff, scales okay to, like, a large 4K television, but I'd love to try and take something like a PS1 shooter game, or the one I always think of is uh, Ridge Racer, which was a racing game back in the PS1, and we used to play the hell at this, but I know it was bad, it was bad back then, but I'd love to take that and put that in a 4K television and just see what happens, just see how the, it all bends out. I don't have a 4K TV, but I do have... A pretty high. I've got a decent high def TV. It was just a large television. Like there were large 1080p HD TVs. Yeah, I have. A, I have a pretty decent sized TV. I've been playing. So at the start of this year, I started playing Dino Crisis, which is a PlayStation One game oh, using fuck. my PlayStation Two, and it uh, it looks, it's playable. I'll I'll play it, but it's it's stretched out. It looks grainy as all hell. If anyone knows how to make or give me or knows the cables that I need to use to set up my PlayStation 2, my GameCube, my Wii, and HD, tell me. I honestly I don't play think these games, the but output... Not in that high, quality. I don't think they output the right size of file you're looking for. I honestly don't think they're capable of putting out anything more than 720p. And I don't know how you would get that and have it interpreted and then produced at a higher a higher rate, if that makes sense. Like I, I, I think Even 720p would be fine. 720p would be fine. If I could play OG Resident Evil 2 in 720p, go with that. Yeah, I, I mean... Because sitting at about 140 right now. I mean, let's just, let's just talk about this. Uh, 
our, our boy, our boy Argic, has uh, made a fantastic leap in his Twitch streaming and become a partner. And hats off to him. He's done some very hard work over the last couple of months. Very proud to see how far he's come. Uh, but if we're talking about somebody who plays low-res games, the man is still playing Sonic. The original Sonic the Hedgehog uh, in 2020. And just, like, I'm amazed at Like, that's what it means. Like, that game is so old, its style makes it hold up better than, I'd say, a quote-unquote realistic game from the PlayStation 1 era would. And it's an older game than that. Yeah, I've always wondered, I always ask him how what is his setup and he tells me every time but because he tells me the price every time i focus too much on that <laughs> like asked him how's how's he able to put his his uh, n64 his a uh, gamecube and his wii and his place his playstation 2 how's he able to put that all on hd and it always starts off with, oh it cost me about 300 400 quid but it's so worth it and i just get caught up in that and then he tells me about the rest of it and i just kind of go uh, uh oh what, i'm still what? gagging on the fact you said 300 quid for a conversion and stuff and I was then, just hoping for maybe an 80 quid thing that I could plug in here and there and all of a sudden HD, but no. No, it's, You mean I have to spend money on this shit? Fuck off. It's, uh, for when it comes to like the old school stuff, it's a lot of the time yeah. it's, we have a guy who remembers working on the original version of it back in the 80s. He knows how to solder on stuff that makes it output at a slightly better resolution. It's not going to be perfect and there's a chance it might burn your machine out but he promised he'll test it before he sends it back to you. Pay him 200 quid through PayPal, and he'll mail it to you once it's done. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, the most jailbroken version shit. I'm like, eh, this is bad. <laughs> I, yeah, that seems that seems bad. I'll, I'd rather pay for the, like, 300 quid worth of weird cables and modifiers and attachments that eventually leads to a HDMI signal so I can plug it into a capture card. Or what would be the better option if just Capcom did me a kindness and uh, made a remake of Dino Crisis 1 and 2 so that I wouldn't have to spend exorbitant amounts of money trying to get my PlayStation 2 output in HD where I could just spend 50 quid, 40 quid getting those HD games? Uh, yeah, like People I are asking for it, Capcom. Just give us Dino Crisis 1 and 2 HD. At a certain point, you can probably just... Make the argument for it appearing on Steam as a real... Like, I am I bought a bunch of stuff for Streets of Rage 1, 2, and 3 because it was 79 pence a game uh, through the Sega Mega Drive collection, uh, which appears on Steam. Like, it doesn't even have to be the HD remaster. You can just re-release those games in a, a viable format for streaming and let the streamers be your advertisement. Yeah, absolutely. And the... Speaking of the Sega Mega Drive collection, that is actually probably one of the best deals you'll get in games today because the amount of games that you get that play in HD, fucking outstanding. Like, uh, Gunstar Heroes, one of my favourite games for the Mega Drive era, playing that in HD is fucking awesome. And I will say, if you buy the Sega Mega Drive collection through uh, Steam, the lobby of that, you know, I didn't expect them to put so much effort into the lobby of a, a virtual console, which I was very surprised. It, it shows up uh, like you open up the the program, and it becomes a virtual bedroom of a nineties kid, and each poster is a different game or different like uh, cassettes, every video and stuff like that on the walls is a different uh, a different game. And I was like, this is there's a lot of attention brought to this that I, I I'm not the biggest Sega fan, but this would make me feel so happy about what I've just bought. Yeah, 
Uh, I did like that, that. Every time you buy a new game, you get an extra case in your little bookcase thing. Yeah. You get an extra game case. It's a very nice touch. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, and the fact that the game itself is only £20. Yeah. Um, we talked about it, just because we mentioned Twitch, um, it's mm. probably worth talking about the fact that Twitch is starting to implement DMCAs for copyrighted music. And yeah, that's... Uh... It has devastated some of the, the community because it is not just... Like, there's idea that you can do your Twitch stream, you can have it uh, recorded and saved on the Twitch servers as a view-on-demand video, uh, VODs, mm. and then... Also, you can have community members live clip uh, parts the, the the stream, so that if something funny happens, you can hit clip clip that, and you get like a a, a sixty second window that you can trim down to however long you want it to be, and you can then store that as a saved video file. And this is part of the community; it's part of the function, the service that's provided by Twitch. And now they have uh, algorithms and basically robots going through and looking for any copyrighted music and automatically flagging that for uh, like people who are, I guess, like companies, corporations and uh, license owners that have uh, filed all the correct paperwork with Twitch to do t- DMCA takedowns. And it has, it has really rattled some cages. I'm a uh, follower of some like, Twitch content producers who are shitting themselves, for lack of a better term. And yeah. uh, I was talking about this with the guys at Badger and Pals, and we've been talking about like how they should uh, prepare themselves. And I mentioned the fact that Harris Heller, uh, who is a massive guiding voice in the Twitch community, has said he is now uh, muting gameplay uh, music, like stuff that's on the background, just in case. Um, I was talking to Ross about this from Badger and Pals. He was saying that uh, they don't get a lot of DMCA's for music videos or for music in the background of games that's actually with the game. Uh, although they do get a lot from Star Wars related content, because obviously John Williams and Lucasfilm have very protective uh, like lawyers for their their companies, and he's been saying they've been hit multiple times with copyright takedowns uh, for videos and uh, streams and stuff like that or vods. And I said, look, just the the best advice is to mute all your music that's playing in videos if you're live streaming it or if you're trying to create content out of it, because it's just not worth it. It's definitely going to be hard medicine for some streamers because any stream that I go on will have copyrighted music playing in the background. Uh, most of the fighting game streams will have music from other fighting games. Even Argic plays uh, licensed music. Uh, he plays other video game music during down segments or if he's changing games or something. Yeah. Or if he's doing just chatting, he'll put music on in the background. So it's going to be a massive uh, wake-up for a lot of, lot of streamers like that. They're going to have to look at maybe just eliminating music altogether or getting, uh, what the hell is the word, uh, royalty-free music. Yeah, There is actually, fun enough, uh, Harris Heller is a one-man band on this one. He, like, a couple months ago, created a project called Stream Beats, where he went out to a lo-fi kind of hip-hop producer and said, I want about 180 chill-out two-minute tracks to live, to share. Uh, they'll be released on like Spotify, YouTube, whatever, um, and we'll get the ad revenue from the, the playlist, um, we'll get the money from YouTube, from Spotify, per play. However, th- it's all going to be license-free music. So if you're into the, like, the lo-fi beats type of thing, which I am, I love it, um, it's just a very nice chill thing to have on the background, uh, I think Harris's track list is at 210 tracks. So that's enough for a multiple hour stream 
just constantly going in the background. And it's it's not bad. Like it's not it's, I've not listened to all of it yet, but based on what I've heard so far, which is the first fifty tracks maybe, it's pretty good stuff. So if if you're looking for a solution, if you're like, oh my god, we might get completely shafted on copyright here, there are alternatives and people will be working around this for the next couple of months and just find uh, licensed or license free music that you can guarantee will not get you shafted in the in the long run. So yeah, it's just something I, I'm not sure how many people are aware of this because most people reacting to this news, it's like, guys, I just got three channel strikes on my Twitch community. I'm in danger of losing everything I've spent years working on. What do I do? <laughs> like, uh, stop. First of all, that'd be my first guess. And after that, I guess we just kind of go from it. We're just going to improvise, you know. It's it's definitely going to be a it's going to be a tough workaround for quite a lot of streamers, but I think they'll get there. I think a lot of people are working on solutions and uh, crafty ways around this. But it does make it does make streaming a game difficult because is that going to get copyright struck as well if they they hear that game music in the background? Yeah, that's what that's why everything I, everybody I've talked to about this, I've said play it safe, take off the music, the, you know, the video game play itself is transformative, so you don't have to worry about a DMCA from that, and most gaming companies have the understanding that a streamer is transformative, like, we don't need to take this to the courts, um, and most people know that it's safe to stream the video gameplay. The music, on the other hand, it's kind of difficult to say, so, I mean, be, be safe out there. It's, I'm quite, I'm quite uh, glad that you brought up um, uh, streaming and get, uh, streamed games and things like that because I'm going to use it in a very, very bad segue into talking about one of the most streamed games of 2020, and that is a uh, Final Fantasy VII remake. Uh, I finished that. I think after our last podcast episode went out, I finished uh, with a. I think I finished it around 45 hours, maybe 51 hours. That's not gameplay. It's it's pretty good considering. The as much as I played of the original, I got out of Midgar, which is where the first where remake is set, within forty five minutes, maybe oh. an hour. All right then. So they they definitely stretched this part out, and having this be my way into Final Fantasy, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, my problems with the game kind of lay with the villain and the end boss. Whereas in the original Final Fantasy, what I've been told is the, the Sephiroth is a slow build. They just kind of, he appears in a couple of flashbacks. Cloud doesn't actually fight him, or you don't actually get to find out more about Sephiroth until what would be the second part of the disc, the second part of the game, disc two. But in this one, Cloud is constantly being plagued by Sephiroth. He's this kind of, he's always there, he's always interacting with Cloud and, you know, making him hallucinate and see things. Is an omnipotent, omnipresent antagonist. Yeah. yeah. Which would have been cool if he was even slightly imposing. Uh, the Sephiroth I've seen through playing Kingdom Hearts, his voice, he was voiced by a different uh, voice actor. Because I think they wanted to make, I think they wanted to go with a different voice cast for this game, or it was something to do with voice acting unions. They didn't want, they wanted it to be non-union or something like that. A weird choice. I don't actually. Maybe they just wanted to recast with a, a different a cast. I don't really know, but they changed his voice, and I think 
Tyler Hecklin does a good job of voicing Sephiroth, but the the previous voice actor George Newbern, who was also uh, Superman in Justice League, does a way better job, mm. in my opinion. Because fair enough, Tyler Hecklin does still play Superman, which is a weird connection between the two. Both voice actors for Sephiroth have played Superman, either yeah, animated weird. or live action. Yeah, that is really weird. But George Newbern kind of gave uh, Sephiroth this gravitas and this sort of weight. Tyler Hecklin just kind of seemed like he kind of just seemed like he was there Cloud had to listen to him because he couldn't listen to anything else so there was nothing forcing him to lock eyes on Sephiroth. There was no gravity to him. It was weird. Did It kind of took away from this whole Sephiroth is meant to be an opposing villain because back in the day people would talk about Sephiroth. I say back in the day back in uh, secondary school even primary school when some of uh, my friends were talking about Final Fantasy 7 uh, they would talk about Sephiroth as being you know, on par with Darth Vader in terms of cool villains. Yeah, he has a legacy as one of the great villains, um, as one of the like the biggest biggest antagonists of all time, really. Uh, when it comes to like video games, especially, he's just on the Mount Rushmore, really. Yeah, pretty much. But if you'd have told me that based on Final Fantasy VII remake, he's an imposing villain, I, I would have disagreed with you. He's a uh, He's definitely a villain because he, he basically out and out says through the game that he's going to remake the universe and he wants Cloud to either get with him or get out of the way. And he, his motive annoys me. He thinks he's the superior being and wants to remake the world by blowing it up. That's not different from... Uh, that is pretty much his... It's, a, it's the cliff notes of his motivation, I think, in the original game. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about in general. Like, I I don't like Sephiroth's motivation. Hmm. It's kind of he is the, he, something that in the I've I've played a bit of the original on Switch. Uh, Brother bought it a while ago. There's moments where Sephiroth is just reading all these books. He finally has that kind of snap moment where he realizes that he's not, or basically everything that he's been told is not not the truth, and he's been lied to. So he starts doing all this research and reading that. He finds out where he came from and the whole legacy behind where he comes from and he basically just kind of snaps, saying that this is where I come from, I'm the superior being, I will remake the world in my image. But then you find out that what he was told about being lied to was also a lie, then it just kind of gets weirder and weirder, as GRPG plots do. Who does think it? <laughs> yeah, who the thought got weird, but yeah, also Final Fantasy VII Remake was a fucking great game. The combat was fun, the... The amount of micromanagement you have to do between characters gets a bit daunting at first, but when you get it down pat, you're like, oh, crap, this is this is actually pretty fun, uh, managing different characters. Yeah, if the uh, the management system is well implemented, it can make that part of the game, maybe not fun, but not a chore. And then it lets you uh, experiment more with the combat, makes you experience the game in a new way. Yeah, and it's definitely... There's one thing that I was very bored with playing a little bit of the original was just how slow the combat felt and this one in remake combat goes as quick as you want it to which means it could either go past very quickly if you just mash the hell out of shit with cloud or you can play the game a bit slower by switching characters and you know trying to get different status effects and using different magics by switching to tifa or barrett or Aerith. Mm. it can get it can get pretty involved actually and it's good that the game has that depth i mean there was a lot of worries that this would just be a very shallow remake but if they've got, maybe not the same system, but if they've got 
something that you can uh, latch onto and just delve into and not quite micromanage, but something you can study and game and play with and get a better oh. experience out of it. Oh, without a doubt. One of the best parts of the game is the... Um, fuck, what the hell is it? It's the, the materia system. Using different materia combinations between your, your four different characters. Obviously, you can only have three characters at a time, so it's kind of a toss-up. You, obviously, you're going to keep Cloud in for... Because he's the main character. You're going to keep Tifa in because she's the strongest character in the game. It's a toss-up between whether you want magic range or physical range with Barra and Aerith. Because uh, both are equally good at magic, both have good uh, ranged abilities. And having different materia setups on each one of them just basically means that you're playing a whole different style of game with each character that you play. Materia is like a system of buffs, right? Like it's different add-ons that you give to your guns to different effects. Yeah. And, yeah okay. Uh, there's three different types of materia. There's magic materia. There's status materia. Uh, there's there's blue a uh, blue materia that gives you status effects like that all up your XP and money and shit like that. You'll get yellow materia, which can give you uh, things like prayer, which gives you healing abilities. Uh, gives you an ability called chakra, which allows you to heal yourself and uh, get rid of poison. You'll get uh, purple materia, which is you know HP up, AP uh, HP up, uh, XP up, that kind of shit. Then you'll get your magic materia, which is your green materia. And uh, if you equip them all in a certain order, even the magic material, if you equip, just say cure, that can give you a boost to your magic. But it can also downgrade your defense. So there's a trade-off. Just say, if you want to go all magic on one person with a couple of buffs, they're probably going to have great magic stats, great magic attack stats, but they're probably going to have piss poor defense. Okay. So it's all about trading off and getting the right setups on each character and maximize how they're going to play within the game. That's interesting. It's good that the system's there for people to experience yeah. and just kind of tinker with to get the most out of yeah. the characters. And there's enough in the game that you get enough time to go through the game playing, experiencing the story and all its side quests. But the length of the game also allows you to experiment with these things because there's a Colosseum fights where you go through rounds of fights and there's a, like I said, the, there's side quests there and there's allow, they allow you to go and fight stronger versions of enemies so you can test out newer builds on them. And uh, it allows you, the game itself basically encourages you to play it however the hell you want it. If you want to have Cloud essentially be a magic user and have your main damage come from Tifa, you can do that. If you want to have uh, Barret be your main healer and maybe not attack too much, you can do that. It's, it allows you complete autonomy over your characters. It's a good, it's a good indication of a well-designed game that you can have that much freedom with it. Yeah. Definitely designed it to let you. Uh, they definitely designed it to let you play it in as many different ways as possible, and there was a lot of attention put into the game, as there should have been, because it was in fucking development for about ten years. <laughs> yeah, although I did and it hear because they spent a lot of time on this game. <laughs> I did hear a criticism from uh, John of Let's Fight a Boss, where he was talking about when he played the game, he was quite annoyed about the fact that the side quests were just the use of a previously existing boss. If he was looking for more of a world building experience with those side quests, um, rather than just okay, here's the a repeat of a mission and let you run through it with a different setup so you can experiment and play with the uh, the toys that you've got. Some of them are. Now, I wouldn't always say the boss fights. There are some side quests that you can do where you can fight other bosses or older bosses, but more often than not, once you fight a boss, it's just cool. You fought that thing. You might come across it later, but next thing you're going to fight is this thing. Like it doesn't. 
doesn't really allow you to go back and fight other shit again. You fight a lot of different versions of same en- of similar enemies, but it doesn't really let you fight boss fights again. Unless you do Coliseums. Alright. In uh, VR simulations. But the one criticism of the game, apart from Sephiroth that I have, is that it's very linear. There's right. a lot of corridors and a lot of just... You start here, walk forward, walk forward again, do a mission, walk forward. But yeah. it is, the uh, the game itself does look good enough that you don't really notice the corridors unless you're actively, you know, if you're unless you're actively aware that you're going through a linear, linear game, which doesn't make sense now that I say it aloud. But no, you uh, can you can catch that in some games. I mean, that's um, a lot of people really praise the original Bioshock when it came out. Oh, it's so so uh, so interesting that you were being played all along by uh, the voices over the Tannoy system. You know that you were being uh, manipulated, and I'm like, okay, yeah, kind of, but at the same time, this is a linear shooter. Like this is a corridor, maybe not a shooter game, but it's like a puzzle shooter action game. There's only one real way through the game. I can't run around the outside. I can't go. I can't swim back to the surface. I have to go through the rapture. I have to go through rapture. I have to go through this game the way the game intends me to. And all of the manipulation that's being uh, like uh, foreshadowed now that like once you get to the end you realise that there have been foreshadowing scenes leading all the way up to the end. All of that was a scripted narrative point in a linear story, even though it seemed like there was the illusion of freedom. I think the the most annoying part of the, how linear the game is is that you go through sectors. Five, six, and seven in the game. There's still four other sector, sectors within Midgard that you can go through. You've got all this. The game's forty hours. Why not have us go to each different individual sector and do some shit within them? Instead, you've kind of just took the story as it was in the original and spread it, in some cases quite thinly, over forty hours and over three different uh, locations. Well, isn't why not this... expand it? Do this, more. Am I right in saying this isn't the entirety of Final Fantasy VII? No, no, no. This is quite literally disc one. Of disc how many? Uh, I think they're doing three episodes of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Holy shit. Yeah. So this, I mean, if we're basing it on how long the first part took, it could be a 120-hour game. I think the, I think the first disc, it's the shortest part in the original. So I think... It's going to be the shortest part in the remake. I think episode two is going to be 80 hours plus. I think there's going to be a lot to do in that Holy game. There's going to be shit. a shit ton to do in disc three. I was, that's a bo- I was going to be like, oh man, they'll stretch it to 150 hours. You're willing to say 120 hours by the time you finished disc two with the four hours yeah. from the first one in 80. All right yeah. then, uh, you guys have fun with that. I'm willing to say that by the time you get to disc three, that disc three is going to be about 100 odd hours. There's going to be a fuck ton to do in that game. Jesus Christ. Between super bosses, end game content, between all the different the preparations that you're gonna to have to do to fight the final boss. I think all in all you're looking at a, a two hundred and other RPG. Cause they just keep adding shit to it. So uh, just out of like gaming news, uh we were to talk about the fact that uh, the Jibberfish podcast is definitely cursed. Uh we've noticed over the last couple of months that uh every time we finish an episode New uh, idea, new things come up in the kind of uh, like the Twitter feed that would definitely be great talking points for the podcast. 
and in the past this has been like releases of new albums, new information, new movies and stuff, or just news in general about those type of things that we enjoy within about 24 hours of a new episode going up. And then today Dom tells me uh, through a text message that the curse has grown stronger somehow uh, because we now know in advance that we will be uh, late in talking about something as it comes out. Uh, and that is a Sony kind of live, ep- live. I don't know what they call it, really. I know you called Nintendo's version the Treehouse. Yeah, Nintendo have their version of the Treehouse live from E3, which is, obviously they'll have the, the demos of games and shit live at E3, but they'll do their, their event from Nintendo headquarters of Nintendo America. So it saves them basically uh, buying flights to LA for like 20, 30 staff members. Yeah. I think it's just a case of they don't need to go to E3 and have this big stage show. They can just stay, do more at Nintendo in-house and show more from Nintendo in-house and they need to send billions of people over or a couple, couple hundred people over to E3 to show what they could just show in-house for a lot cheaper. Uh, so Sony, in an attempt to copy absolutely everything that Nintendo do, have done their own version of a Treehouse Live. Or the fact, yeah, they copied them already. They copied the Nintendo Directs with the the Sony State of Plays, which were just not good. I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm not a. I don't hate Sony. I actively have supported Sony since the PlayStation One, despite the fact that I got it quite late. But they always just seem to be copying whatever Nintendo do. Like the console wars, in my mind, were never between Microsoft and Sony. They were between Sony and Nintendo. And Microsoft were just, you know, prodding Sony in the back going, Oi, pay attention to us. We're mm-hmm. your real rival. Where Sony were just like, Oh, they released uh, Breath of the Wild. We should copy that. We should do that. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's, it's it, Nintendo is a trendsetter in a weird way where they just have... Uh, they just have a great idea that everyone thinks they can capitalise on without realising that there's a certain branding and style that Nintendo have that makes things like that just work. And it's more personable as opposed to Microsoft, which is the gaming front of a multi-billion dollar corporation and uh yeah so the the response to or the response from e3 for covid 19 was obviously they were going to shut down rightly so but to kind of alleviate that so that these companies can still show what they intended to show at these conferences they've done the ign summer of gaming which is going to show throughout the whole month of june what's left of it over, hold on, calendar is loading. I think it's three weeks. Yeah, over three weeks they're going to show yeah. what was going to be shown at E3. And uh, Sony are the first to start off. Sony are going to be showing their conference tomorrow at nine o'clock. I will. I'll probably tweet it. Tweet what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it, what was cool, what grabbed me. Because uh, right now there's not enough going on about either Sony or Microsoft that's going to make me want to buy the console right now. Because. Uh, Sony haven't shown anything about the console. They've shown the controller. They've shown the specs. That's it. Microsoft have shown the specs, the console, and the controller, but no games, except Godfall. That's Didn't even know all that that's that been was. shown for both of them. Yeah, I, this is uh, one thing that we noticed with Sony and Nintendo's version of the console war. It is all about specs and hardware, uh, all of which get laughed at the room by PC gaming immediately. And I think that they have uh, vastly overestimated how important the specs are because this lesson that we learn every time there's a new console cycle is the person who wins, in air quotes, 
is the person with the best group of games and unsurprisingly it seems to be Nintendo has that down almost every year and it comes down to which one of the uh, either Sony or Microsoft wants to get more creative and which one wants to push the boundaries a little bit more but every generation they forget that and have to relearn it over the course of a 10 year console cycle it's, uh, it's weird that it's weird that game companies have to learn messages, learn lessons like that. That games sell consoles, not <laughs> specs sell consoles. So uh, in the in the inevitable event that we have somehow or that we've missed the uh, the the Sony uh, conference, we're going to try and make a prediction each, and uh, uh, we're going to try and guesstimate because I I haven't looked at any of this. I was told about this like twenty minutes before we start recording. I was like, I'll, I'll put down a joke as what I think will happen, uh, what will be revealed at the new console uh, like showcase, and I do want to say that I agree with you, uh, that new game does look kind of like Dark Souls, uh, and that I look forward to watching it being live-streamed for a few times and then forgetting to pick it up before being distracted by something else. So, uh, Dom, what's your prediction? I'm just predicting a vaguely Dark Souls-like game. Uh, are you talking about for the conference in general or any games? Anything, anything, anything you'd like to predict for the, uh, for the uh, event. I think in a completely roundabout and useless way, they're going to show off the console. They're not going to show you a full-blown bright image of what it's going to look like, but they'll show off the console. They might show a game or two, but it's not going to be games that you want. It's going to be games that you already know exist that are getting ported over to PS5. Uh, they're probably going to have some overly wanky musical interlude. Like the the guy who played... Fair enough, he played it very well. They played the Japanese flute played it very well but at the same time I am showing up to E3 online to hear about games and game related news mm. I don't need someone spending 10 minutes playing admittedly very well music I just want to hear about games like get to the games it was just a bit too much for me and the when they announced Final Fantasy 7 remake years ago I think it was about 4 years ago and they had the 15 to 20, no, 20 minute long orchestral opening to it, but they played all the different Final Fantasy uh, 7 orchestral songs. I actively, I kept typing in the chat, I think it was on YouTube, just typing, get on with it, get on with it. This is <laughs> this is stupid, get on with it. It's, it's too damn much. Yeah, I, uh, I look forward to seeing this because I can't wait to see what comes out of this because going tit for tat with these console companies... It's a little interesting. I love to see what they they bring out, bring to the table. So uh, it's glad to see that we get the first rounds of the, the next generation of the console wars. And uh, it's it's weird though, because I it didn't hit me that uh, it should have been E three like this week, um, just until maybe a couple of days ago. And I was oh shit, we're missing out on E three. Like that's how long the the coronavirus lockdown has gone on. What's up? My headphones cut. Ah, uh, you cut out. Uh, there was nothing huh. from you if you've said anything. No, I didn't say anything. All oh, right. I, I thought you were saying something on my headphone. No, no, I was just waiting uh, for you. Yeah, but I, I don't think Sony are gonna gonna show much. That's just my personal opinion. I think they're gonna they're gonna go in. They're gonna take a dig at Microsoft as they usually do, saying we have these games. Microsoft doesn't have that. Uh, they're gonna. I ultimately, think they're gonna show nothing. But I, I think that, if the, Microsoft have revealed one game, you can't yeah, take Microsoft. the stage and say, you, we have all these games without revealing some of it. Yeah. I think we get a Last of Us uh, preview, 
and then yeah. the announcement that it will also be, I guess, a forward compatible. Uh, yeah, with the next. Oh, well, there's going to be a version coming to PS5. Yeah, it w- but right. I don't think they'd do that because then you'd say, um, you're basically just hampering the sales of the PS4 version for everyone who's going to buy a PS5. But then again, Last of Us Part Two is that device of a game. People have already decided if they're going to buy it or not. They're not going to go out of their way to pick it up now, just because it's on PS because it's on PS5 conference. Yeah, but I mean, like you'd want to sell it as a PS4 game and then as a PS5 game. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I wasn't really or sure. Try what you mean, and get but I, mean, yeah, I get you that yeah. way. I think they want to try and sell like maybe a more expensive version. Like, oh, we can if you buy it for eighty quid rather than sixty, we can sell it on two consoles for you. It's it's a discount. Aren't you so yeah, lucky, gamers? Just sound and do what uh, CD Projekt Red are doing and say if you buy Cyberpunk on Xbox One or PS4, you get to play it on PS5 or Xbox Series X. Yeah, that'd be nice. Which is pretty cool, but it's going to be a shit show in the end of it because they're, they're, uh, there's going to be people that are not happy. I, I, I guess they've worked out. You can't, as a as a company that has a, a relationship with both of these uh, developers, you can't turn around and say that without knowing it's going to be okay. You would have your ass handed yeah. to you before you walked out the door. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It's, it's a slippery slope, but if anyone can take that hit, it'd be CD Projekt Red. Yeah, let's just hope other companies follow suit because a lack of uh, forward or backwards compatibility uh, on like between console generations can be a real mood killer in the in the community. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I've seen all this stuff about Sony that they could turn around and surprise me, and I hope they do because there are some instances where I hate being right and where I'm being unfortunately negative about something as one of those such examples. Yeah. You don't want to be right or all the time, especially when you're kind of being like not a dick about it, but you know, yeah, like you're, slightly you're, pessimistic. Yeah, when you're being a real like, if you're being really downward about a certain issue, you kind of don't want to be a complete dick about some things. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, I think it's time for a showstopper. Yeah, uh, I think it is that time. It is that. almost it's, four hours. Yeah, we're getting late. Um, so. Also, these are uh, quite politically divisive times. Uh, right now, it's kind of up in the air as to how people feel, how people actually talk about how, uh, their politics and all that. And I, I found an interesting uh, article about the drummer of the great and legendary band System of a Down. Uh, John Domain was saying he was actually quite happy with how Trump has handled the, the protests and the, uh, the aftermath of the George Floyd situation. Uh, to which the community response was, you fucking what, mate? Uh, Naturally. Uh, and then I was like, well, that's possibly the stupidest uh, thing I could ever see about a musician in politics. And then last night, there was an unfortunate gentleman uh, by the name of Scott Castenda, who, I'm going to be honest, I don't think I have the capacity to verify if he's real or not, if he's a real person or if this is some weird kind of trolling, because if it is, it's a masterpiece. Uh, Castendo uh, sent a, a, a tweet to a musician. He said, I used to be a fan of your political opinion until your political opinions came out. Music is my sanctuary and the last thing I want to hear is political BS when I'm listening to music. As far as I'm concerned, you and Pink are completely done. Keep running your mouth and ruining your fan base. Thumbs up emoji. Uh, he sent that to Tom Morello of uh, Rage Against the Machine. 
you fucking what, mate? <laughs> I, I honestly have been taking about this. This happened. This came up on like news articles this morning, and I was stunned to say the least. Uh, given that Rage Against the Machine might be the most political band I've ever heard, and that already includes System of a Down, Rise Against, and a bunch of other uh, very radical uh, bands at the moment. Uh, yeah. I actually seen a pretty good comment on that because I think another you know, story you're referring to is like, uh, people on the well, a lot of people are saying that they didn't know Rage Against the Machine or polit- or a political band. What did you think they? Were, what do you think the machine in which they were raging against was? Their parents? <laughs> See, School? The, the joke I heard was, "What machine do you think they were raging against? The fucking lawnmowers." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, "Damn, damn good tweet." The uh, the the. the the obvious, like, the dunking that has happened. I mean, we're doing it as well. But the dunking that has happened on this poor motherfucker <laughs> for yeah. apparently never actually listening to a Rage Against the Machine song has been uh, tremendous. I uh, was a big fan of the, the joke that um, when they heard, fuck you, you won't do what we t- uh, you won't do, I won't do what you tell me, uh, was apparently directed to everyone's mother rather than, you know, corporate systems, political identities and stuff like that. Um... <laughs> Or authoritarian rule, but apparently there are uh, a, a, a not small subset of people who be- didn't realise that Rage Against the Machine was raging against uh, authoritarian governments, and you know even like even in the kind of smaller scale sense that some people feel certain you know modern Western governments act, um, they have been. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to stop you there for a second. What did these people think? The lyrics, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Those who died are justified for f- waving the flag in their own chosen way. What did you think that meant? <laughs> what the fuck did you think that meant? I, I really worry this is... Because uh, this is, it was the same thing that came up in uh, the thing with John Domain was has like have certain people just not been listening to the lyrical content of certain songs? Like Serge Tankian... Uh, is a very outspoken critic of the West, despite being a, you know repatriated Armenian to America. He is very, uh, pro- he's very critical of the government there, as are almost every me- as is almost every member of the system. And then, how do you miss all of that to miss how your bandmates really feel about authoritarian governments? And then, how do you then miss Rage Against the Machine? Just everything they said. And I've, I admit, I have often just ignored lyrical content in exchange for just enjoying uh, the music the, the backing track in, in a sense because I'm driv- I'm drawn more towards that than lyrical content in certain bands and stuff like that but I don't think I'd miss this one I can't see myself misinterpreting uh, anything from Rage Against the Machine Oh yeah, as it's... being anything less than anti-corporate I guess I just... yeah, it, yeah, it's a difficult one to say because have people just not been listening? You can't say uh, uh, you can't listen to a Rage Against the Machine song. Just say those guys just really hate computers. That's the machine in which they're raging against, not you know, capitalism and fascism and all that stuff. It, it boggles the mind. That genuine. That is indeed a showstopper because I can't think. Yeah, and I uh, yeah, I, 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 this guy can't be real. I'm sorry. I I refuse to believe that there's a real human being like that out there in the world, just kind of like yeah, Rage Against the Machine. They're just 
they're just nice guys. <laughs> Get a bit angry from some. A bunch of nice gentlemen. <laughs> they just they just have disagreements with their parents. <laughs> There's nothing nothing deeper there. Nothing bigger. Uh, fuck you. You can't do what you tell me. <laughs> it was like when someone was. Uh, I was talking to someone. This was a couple of years ago. We were talking about. Uh, this is going to be a weird segue, but just stay with me. But we were talking about a uh, Avatar: Legend of Korra, which season three's villain of that, or season three's villain was a character called Zaheer, who gets uh, he's a master criminal who gains the ability to airbend, right? And uh, he's voiced by Henry Rollins, right? Okay, uh, of Black Flag, <laughs> fucking great villain. Uh, and we we're, were talking about Black Flag, and like, you know Henry Rollins used to do such music, such good music that didn't really have a message to it, and I was like. It just kind of stopped me in my tracks. Like, Excuse me? Did you listen to a single Black Flag song? <laughs> you you know really they establishment the punk band. Like, the, it, it, there's a certain generation for whom it goes like, Sex Pistols, Black Flag. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's unreal. Anyway. It's, it's weird, it's strange. When you're listening to music, I suggest actually listening to the music. And yeah. uh, actually, you know what? As a training exercise, run the jewels for if you can figure out roughly Killer Mike and LP's political stances, you might be in with a shot. I'll, I'll give you. We'll leave it with that. Yeah. In the meantime, I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I can't. I can't think of anything to say. I'm genuinely. My show has been stopped. I. How could no? Right, I've been Dom Anderson. I've been Colin Graham. Uh, we've been talking gibberish. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>